<laughs> righty welcome everybody to this episode of that round it podcast uh this one's a little bit different uh season two ended as uh all of you know uh we're still in the in the process of seeing if we're going to have a, a season three and what that may look like but um we'll probably label this one as a off-season interview uh so it is myself and tops unfortunately mike couldn't join us for this one uh however we are joined by the amazing skylar bowles so to build on this skylar um we have had you on before briefly um and that was talk a little bit about the past of round and how it had changed from you know the early days of chico spike and what we're going to get into again a little bit uh and and, and now um today we're going to talk about that brief background but we're also going to touch on some other things that you've been you know a huge factor in in the scene around that uh, such as educating and uh, building like curriculums and building uh, programs for people to actually get a bigger base of people into the sport um, as well as your other hat of developing the future of the sport and a little bit on the mammoth set and some other stuff um so first of all very much welcome back for the second appearance on the podcast we are very appreciative to have you here yeah thank you so much i'm excited i'm definitely an avid listener and appreciate you know the deep dives and you know the the diversity of people that you get you know on the podcast it's uh it's always fun and um just it's so cool to see other people put in the effort that you guys do um to build out the content uh for the sport that it desperately needs and you know um you're a role you guys are role models uh for other people to, to follow in the footsteps so keep going and um i'm happy to be on uh as many times as you let me <laughs> we, we appreciate that a lot um i was actually thinking the other day like i was <laughs> so the disc golf i'm a big fan of disc golf i don't know if you play disc golf skylar do you yeah 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 definitely a couple couple times a week uh if if I can, so okay, oh, I love that. I've got, a, I've got a basket in my front yard, but I don't I don't putt enough, which is really unfortunate. <laughs> okay, it's like the same as like I feel like putting in disc golf is the exact same as people going and grinding serves. Like it's just therapeutic, just bang, just sitting there with your own thoughts and just putting. Yeah, that's something. I mean, I'd never did that in my round net career, really ever. <laughs> yeah, so, either uh, <laughs> never needed it. <laughs> well yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't uh the big it was just get the ball on the net so um yeah uh, <laughs> and it stayed that way for x <laughs> amount of years <laughs> true true uh, um but you know I, I only mentioned that because um i just contacted you because um i was like you know what i really want to have this conversation with skylar like i really just want to talk to him like i don't care if people listen or not like if it's recorded and people listen to it even better but i just i generally just want to talk to you and there's so many other people i want to talk to in round net about round net and I was like, we are, we have this podcast, even though we're in the off season, we have this podcast, so we sort of could do it. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just like, I'm just, I love talking about round it. And I missed it since we sort of said season two had ended. So wh- why not have these conversations? And uh, if people want to listen to them, here they are. I'm all about um, it. Yeah. So to start off again, to give a nice background about yourself, you were around in the very, very beginning. Um, of what? Yeah, I mean- there was a beginning before that right you know i mean there was i i found out about roundnet or spike ball in 2012 and um started playing with my friends and it was great and then i started looking at videos online of people other groups playing i saw that there was a random tournament in chicago back in like 2010 and you know maybe even before that and so i was like okay well i'm a little late to this game but you know maybe you know i can i can catch up quick or you know, I'm late to this game. That's so yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny to, funny to think about now is just, yeah. you know, uh, 
and knowing it I was. I wish I so started much, a year earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, teaching, you know, teaching all the education stuff, I just I wish I could have played it as a 12, 13 year old. I mean, that just yeah, would have been too. so fun. Just being able to dive all over the place would you know just with a body that's just a lot more flexible and uh, bounces back a lot quicker would uh would have been you know definitely a, a joyous occasion for a young Skyler. <laughs> uh, yeah but no continue in saying that your first tournament was chicago you sort of found out that yeah there was a somewhat it, competitive scene yeah and then i was just like oh wow people play like where they hit hard off of serves or you know i i kind of learned or thrown that you just you know put it on easy or some people threw it on the net and so it just kind of expanded the mind of like oh you can play this you know in a in a different more competitive way and being just somebody who loves games and sports you know you always figure out a way to gamify something and make it somewhat competitive i'm a very competitive person but i don't care about winning as much as some people that are like i wouldn't equate like caring about winning and competitive as the same thing i think they're they're different um but i always try and make something a game and how can you then exploit the rules to that game is kind of where my head goes and i i was always um somebody who played sports like a bit different like i played two hands on both sides in tennis and just did kind of weird shots and kind of didn't really listen to coaches and so i think that's where that came from um you know just wanting to figure out my way of doing things and so then with the rules and like seeing other people play it's like oh maybe we can kind of make some some more rules or you know unify some rules and i would just try some different rules from different videos and those happen to be different regions and that's kind of just like where it came from and that's where my love of like the intricacies of the rules of the sport of of everything about it is just like oh, how can we take all these little parts from all these sports that we grew up in and make round at that. And so that's what like fascinated me and drew me into like the, the competitive scene. And, and then obviously just playing tournaments and, and meeting with people like that's, that's where it all started. Serious question. If let's theoretically move ourselves to another uh, world in a theoretical universe, but if the Skylar of that time, so what, 11 years ago had suddenly found round it now, would you have been? Would you be as interested, given that there's a little bit more structure, a little bit more rules, there's not as much freedom now as the, and, and that's not to say there's no freedom now. We still definitely haven't found all the answers and are not there where we want to be. But do you st- would you still have had that same like fire for for finding and manipulating different ways, given that the rules hadn't been as established? Yeah, I I, I think so. I think it would be even more of a challenge. Um be just with the no hit zone but the the things that drew me into spike ball and round net just in general were the 360 aspect of the game that always just was just like kind of blew my mind it was like oh that makes so much sense and it just opens up so many possibilities uh and then just the deception that came with that um deception and you know hitting like drop shots and tennis or just that was always the thing i was fascinated with the most um was really anticipation and deception um and so that's what i you know started doing i would just fake hit hard and then hit drop shots and people would you know look at my hand instead of the ball and you know just all all these different types of things and that's what fascinated me and and drew me in and allowed me to play different and excel than you know most people who were just you know hitting the ball off of the net um and and so yeah i i think i think i would still be pretty fascinated with it just because it's a 360 game and there aren't too many 360 games that have captured my interest as much in uh, you know the past 10 years as as round it has and yeah you know, i'm still very I, I definitely know a lot of uh 
a lot of sports and games and I'm, I'm up to date on all the weird products and weird niche sports. So um, <laughs> yeah, pretty good knowledge. Yeah. I just saw a video um, of Ch uh, Chico's bike ball versus handsome beavers and handsome beavers. Isn't that the team that also Buddy Hammond was part of? Yes. Buddy Hammond was uh, Buddy Hammond and Bryce Clifford, his best friend were the handsome beavers. So they were, you know, good friends. They were working for spike ball, kind of like selling, making videos and selling sets and getting like, you know, a couple yeah. bucks off each set they sold based on like a discount code that they would make a video on. Um, and so me and my friends, uh, me and my friend decided to go down to a tournament and, and play. And they, I guess, had never been beaten before as like whether they played casually or in a, in a tournament. Um, and we met him and played him in the finals. And, you know, that was that was that, you know, took care of him. You know, played side out, side out scoring on the beach, um, which was crazy. The the semifinal game before us that like we had to wait for, which we didn't play in, um, it lasted like 45 minutes. And it was like one game to 15 uh in in the sand. And like this was rally ball back in the day, too. So like it was crazy. A bunch of people cramped at that tournament. Um, so it was just very different, but that was like the first time like me and my teammate had ever played in sand. We'd only played on grass. Um, and the fact that we beat these people who had played for, you know, at least six months and then like knowing that there was competition way before we did. And so that was like, Oh, okay. Like this is, this is legit. We're, we're good at this. So that was, that was super fun. And then went to the bar with Chris Ruder and the shareholders that own spike ball, you know, afterwards. And that's kind of how my relationship with, with them started and, uh, or, or at least got, got better. And, um, yeah, it was a, that was an, that was an, that was an epic day. And when it was, was just that day? everybody who's listening, that is nine years ago, twenty fourteen actually. No, and this is, well, the first time we played them that this tournament was uh, uh September twenty twelve, Manhattan Beach. Okay, it was like it was, like the, first, it was like the first spike ball tournament that like Chris put on in like California, and it was like. That was kind of like the first real one. Um, they had one in Chicago. And then so the team from Chicago and I think New York like was out there. And so that was like the big deal because like there was there was good teams from from all over. And that was kind of like the first like if you want to call it a national tournament uh, of the best players kind of that knew about the game. That was that day. And, uh, and and that's that's what it started. And it started like, you know, the little East Coast, West Coast rivalry kind of stuff. And it was, it was so, so, so fun. <laughs> and so then then fast forward a little bit so you said you you that was when your your relationship with chris the ceo of spikeball sort of began um and then you ended up then ha becoming more you know more in contact with them the more you traveled and play in, in spikeball tournaments back then and and then yeah how did how did that then build onto you then working or starting your your working career with with spikeball yeah so i was you know going to I guess prior to that tournament, um, it looks like I just pulled it up, but I have a, a letter. I just wrote a letter to Chris that I just emailed him. And it's like, you know, one and a half pages. And it's just like, thank you for creating this sport. It's not a, you know, it's not a game. It's a sport, you know, as opposed to what people say. Um, I want to, you know, I'm going to school to be a PE teacher. I think this would be great in PE. I want to be the guy that travels around, you know, the country, you know, sharing this world sharing this sport with PE teachers um and I basically said just you know that's kind of like said said that I wanted to do that and I think later that um 
that next March. So in March to 2013, you know, I built that relationship, you know, told him I want to do that. And he let me go to a, a, a California PE teacher trade show. Uh, Sean and I went there and, um, and yeah, we actually like, there's two days of the show and we just had a pyramid of like 90 sets. That was all we had is like our background at the, uh, at the trade show. And we sold them out in the first day. The second day, we're just sitting in our empty booth, just like everybody's hey like, we're, we, yeah, like we're, what do you, we need is we need this. And so that, that's how that was the first like break into the PE world that we kind of knew that there was a, a success there. And I had already done some like local stuff and had brought it to the three high schools and two middle schools uh, in my town. Um, and all of those teachers that I demoed it to bought class sets. So he, that like, seeing that success from my end. Um, and I ran a couple of youth tournaments. I was running a tournament three days a week, um, at lunchtime with like 60 to 80 players. Um, and I was running some community tournaments and so I was doing all of these things and that's what gave them the confidence to, you know, start paying me to, to keep doing what I was doing in my local community. Um, and then that turned into Sean, you know, the heads of beavers and Sean and I to, to, to be on team spike ball, um and we got paid in the summer to you know go around and just play spike ball on the the craziest beaches and um just just promote the game as much as possible and that was a that was a summer of fun and from that sean and i got hired full-time as well as two two or three other people and that's when like chris like took the company to zero employees to, to five um and the other two employees were joel graham and scott wilson who were on team nashberg um, and they were like the third best team for a few years, uh, behind the Beavers and I. So it was really cool to have like competitive people, you know, work, work for spike ball and, and be a part of that, that initial, like, uh, that initial crew. So as, uh, that's, that's kind of how it all started from like a little, little job, you know, just like doing it. All right. Keep doing what you're doing in your community. Um, and then, all right, now we're going to do this like around California and then, all right, now we're doing this for real. How can you scale what you're doing up, you know, across the country? And this was like, this was only happening, you know, was starting obviously in California and then growing across the US. Like they had still not really broke onto any other scene besides the US at this point. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple countries who would play there, but, you know, there was, there was no sites really set, you know, on anything like that. It was just, all right, we got to, you know, got to grow in our backyard first. And your thoughts so, when you was gone tops? Sorry, um, I just uh, wanted to ask. So you were one of the five first employees that like the brand Spikeball ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Scott Palmer, the COO, was technically the first employee even before Chris. I'm not sure, but it was uh, Chris, Scott, and then Scott Wilson, Joel, Sean, and I. Um, so it was, okay. I guess six of us. Um, and uh yeah okay and then you went and then i'm guessing your role fluctuated and changed quite a lot throughout your your time uh with spiteful i mean spoiler i mean those who are already listening to this may know that you know you was recently uh not you're no longer with spiteful as of this you know recording now and we'll get onto that a little bit more but um as your role changed from then back in what 2013 or 2012 he was initially part of the company was it 2012 or 2013 yeah 2013 mm -hmm. so from 2013 like you then saw the company grow massively from what five employees to what was the maximum you had at one at one time 
I think we probably had around 50, you know, at one point, um, you know, this is, this is crazy. And yeah, seeing, seeing so many changes from, you know, the excitement of getting on shark tank and, you know, that changing, you know, the business and all of the the PR that we got. And, you know, my job fluctuated from field marketing and running events and managing people that would go to events um, to just managing the, the whole PE channel and world, going to trade shows myself, traveling a lot um to just kind of general marketing um you know sales as well following up on sales uh i also you know got into partnerships and sponsorships um and sometimes it would fluctuate like more focus back on pe and then when other things would happen things would then get put on my plate and so i was kind of a little bit of a i can do kind of whatever whatever you need me to kind of thing uh, but always have this focus on, on on the pe world and make sure that that's steady and that keeps going and um that was you know that was the main the main part of my role and then yeah definitely fluctuated as we as we grew and as we needed you know different roles but um then it, it always kind of shifts back and that's definitely the, the core of what i what i've been doing at spike ball i'd i'd love to go deeper into that 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 side of things because again and I'm, the majority of listeners who listen to this you know are probably somewhat competitive round it players and also just round net enthusiasts right you gotta be very enthusiastic to listen to a podcast about this niche sport but and we appreciate you're listening but uh on that point of what you were doing was setting the foundations for years to come in regards to going out to PE teachers teaching them how to teach it and then also selling them sets to be able to give them the means to be able to then you know get these so-called grassroots foundation levels to grow and become become and become yeah wider and, and stronger uh it could very much be argued in in round that we look at it from a very indiv- individualistic perspective where we only really look at the competitive side we don't really look at anything outside of that the broader broader perspective um so tell me a little bit exactly how that would how your role what it looked like from week to week or month to month in regards to like getting PE teachers to uh, take on the sets and then also teach them to teach the sport. Yeah. Yeah. No. So, I mean, it really started with, you know, me being going to school to be a PE teacher or a physical education uh, teacher as, as those people in the, in the PE world would call it. Um, and, you know, I found out about spike ball and I was like, Oh wow, that's awesome. Like that seems like a great game. Cause you know, the barrier to entry is very low where you don't need, you know, an actual court or space to play. You can play outside, inside, you know, and, and dealing with like knowing like one of the things we learned in PE was like, there's no budget for PE, at least in America. A lot of people like teachers are buying their own equipment for the, you know, their own pocket to, you know, give to their schools and students. So you always got to figure out what you got to do or work with broken equipment or make your own stuff, whatever it is. And I saw that this was something that, you know, a bunch of kids could do in a in a small area but it could it could basically teach almost every aspect of athleticism um so why kind of you know was enjoying playing um and teaching i was like there's no way how to teach people how to play this game like i can teach them the rules but there's no way to like tell people how to hit this way or you know hit a certain way and just a light bulb went off in my head and said you know maybe you could be that guy um so i started you know writing the curriculum um so there's you know two weeks uh is basically a unit of like all right you learn soccer then you learn how to do passing and dribbling mm-hmm. and shooting and then you know you start to play little games and there's this progression from the simplest skill to playing a full-on game um and all that goes in between that and what what does that look like for a spike ball um you know at the time or, or, or around it now and so that fascinated me and 
part of my homework was to literally do that. So instead of doing another basketball lesson that I had four examples of and basically just had to copy and paste, but just change it a little bit, you know, and, and try and get creative, but it wasn't, you know, that innovative or anything. So this seemed more of a challenge to me. And uh, then there seemed like an opportunity to potentially make, make it some sort of career or some sort of job making opportunity as well. Uh, but the thing that was motivating for me was just like breaking it down, you know, and and, yep. and trying to teach it. And all right, what are these skills you can call? Is it the underhand pass or, you know, I think I said above chest and below chest pass, which, you know, is not great, you know, um, and we, we got better in the, in the, in the second version. Um, but I mean, I, I remember just, you know, filming those curriculum videos out in my backyard and, uh, you know, bunch of takes and, you know, I had no skills or video editing or any experience in that. And I remember, you know, hearing the clicks of me, you know, of the audio unclicking and it's like still in there. Um, so, you know, but, but, but it was good and, and, and it worked and based on some of the other curriculums that exist, like this went farther into detail and had text on the screen and you know all this stuff. And um, yeah, I was really proud of it. And when I started taking it to the PE world, they, uh, they just jumped on it and it was, uh, it, it was, it was amazing. Um, it's just, it was incredible to then, you know, start to see that my impact of starting to teach people how to, how to do this and then sell sets to them. Uh, they had then the tools and the resources to teach it instead of just, all right, here's the equipment go. And good PE teachers can figure it out, but some just, you know, you gotta, you gotta give them at least the instruction manual of how to teach it. Otherwise they're going to let people just, it's called roll out the ball and you just like, all right, here, go play kids. And you're not teaching them, you know, any of the skills and with round net, that's especially difficult because it's not an, an easy sport. And so I think um, that's also the fun part of kind of breaking it down and figuring out, you know, how to teach, teach these skills and hitting a ball with your hand is uh, not a skill that many sports do these days yeah i think that's something that we have always sort of said in regards to round athletes always have so many sporting uh sports to lean back on because it helps them so much when they then go come into round net because no one's playing round net when they're 10 or 11 such as you do when you're playing tennis when you're 10 or 11 in school so so you never had to even think uh about the body mechanics or even think about some of the stuff you're doing i think around that it, although it is you know somewhat a hard sport i don't believe it is a hard sport once you introduce it to these kids at 10 or 11 or 12 it's going to be the same as any other sport it's just a completely different concept what other sport is 360 degrees to defend you know um it's it, it does use many different you know obviously physical attributes but it's 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 not it's not a totally out there and like oh my gosh it's crazy it's just because no one's ever done anything like it before so they're probably going to be bad at it um but 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 my my main thought was like when you was trying to come up with this curriculum, right? You've got this sport that you think's really cool and you want it to grow. And now you've been put in charge and trying to label things. You're trying to put in charge of trying to teach things in a methodological, you know, coaching process for people to now understand. What what percentage of excitement did you have, and what percentage of pressure did you feel? Or what percentage of potential anxiety did you have? Just because, again, there's, you could say one could go in and go, hey, I'm just 
you're going to do a positive thing and if it's bad then i can make adjustments as i go or did you oh no i need to get it right from the beginning because i don't want x amount of people to maybe get things wrong and what if i label things wrong like i just want to dive in your mindset in regards to that because it's not an easy thing to do for sure no and uh definitely went through uh, a lot of those emotions and thoughts i think going through the project because this was like kind of one of my first like real projects where i was like getting paid to do it but I had just gotten my physical education credential. Uh, I've never actually, you know, professionally taught or got paid to teach other than substitute teaching. And, you know, I mean, taught for a whole semester, a couple of classes, and it was definitely my classes, but not technically a real, you know, teacher, just an accredited teacher. Um, and so then the people that write these curriculums are usually people that have been teaching for 10, 20 years. And then they go into that because they have so much experience and they've seen good and bad and, um, so I kind of did feel a little like an imposter, just, you know, trying to use the language that I've learned in all the books over the last, you know, year and a half and, and all my classes. Um, but then not knowing, like, I don't know, my, my writing isn't my, you know, strongest suit, or I don't have as, as big a confidence in it or I second guess myself. So it's like, all right, I needed a second set of eyes on somebody who does this. And so I reached out to somebody who helps write curriculum and they, they helped, you know, kind of get it to the final stage with me. Um, and so that really helped because it was, I mean, it was a lot and um and just with the graphics and all the yeah so it's definitely had help with somebody and then i took that curriculum you know we wrote in 2013 and and redid it um in 2020 from you know all the lessons i had learned and all the trade shows i've been to and all the trainings i did um so it's it's in a, a way better place than in that first version um is but i'm I'm still really proud of it and i yeah i definitely think like there was all right, this isn't good enough, but, but I, I need to get it out there. Uh, at the same time, like any information is better than no information and you can always get better and revise it. And so I think that's as much as you want to be a perfectionist, I think you have to get what you can out there, get as much feedback as you can, um, and then reiterate and, you know, listen. Um, I think that's the most important part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's interesting to hear. Um, and, I, I'd, I'd love to then build off that and say that you are a big part of getting people to be able to be paid to also do what you were doing, but in other countries and other places around the world. Now, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not so, not so um, well versed on all the details of this program you helped set up, but I'd love to know more about it. And I'm sure more people would be interested to hear just about it and how it started in regards to, I'll give you the baseline and say, so for what I believe, you help people get it to a position where they could go to countries and schools, teach around that in that school and then get paid through Spikeball for doing so. Yeah, yeah. So to I guess to wrap it up all kind of before it is, you know, my goals at Spikeball, you know, my goals for the year were you know, I teach X amount of students and X amount of teachers and then, you know, and then hit, hit a revenue goal also. Those are basics, like the, the basics of, of my job and how do you teach as many students as possible? And uh, me going into the local schools, you know, I can only do that so many times and um, then I don't have time for other things to do. So I had to figure out how to scale that. And then from the teacher perspective, so we have school districts um, that that govern a bunch of different schools in that district. Um, each school has, you know, maybe two or three or four P teachers, depending on the size of them. Um, there may be one school PE coordinator at the district that then, you know, leads all of the PE teachers or is that, you know, sometimes they'll get together and do professional development training. 
Um, and so that's where I would try and say, Hey, would you guys like a spike ball training? And spike ball was um, gracious enough and has been, you know, throughout the, my time working there to offer this training for free. And this training is, you know, they pay, you know, thousands of dollars for these trainings normally. Um, and there's usually four to six hours and they learn a bunch of stuff and, and it's great. Ours were quicker so we could, you know, get in there flexible and we offered them for free. So Spikeball would cover the cost of me flying out there, hotel, car, um, and we'd send equipment as well and, and then donate that equipment to that school district. Um, all of that without knowing that we're going to get a sale. So I just like want to state that is like pretty awesome that Spikeball has done that with just knowing that hopefully we will get a sale. It does make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the impact that it has you know, on the sport, on the foundation of the sport by, you know, getting so many kids uh, and students to play, because once you teach teachers how to do it, you have this curriculum and they have the equipment, they see new students every year and it becomes a regular part of their curriculum, not just something they do on just like a a weird one field, you know, one day field day or something like that. So that's where, you know, that that's where it starts is, is just saying, okay, I, and then I, I just looked up, all right, what are the top 100 largest school districts in the country? That's how I'm going <laughs> to teach as many teachers as possible. I just Googled all that information, made a bit of big Excel sheet, just, you know, and then manually called and emailed every one of them um, and say, hey, you know, would you like this free training? Um, and so that's kind of just how it started, just down and dirty. And I think in the 10 years that I've done it, I've, I've, gone and trained at 70 of those hundred largest school districts um, and and many more, but just 70 of those biggest ones. So I feel pretty good about blanketing, you know, as much of, of the countries as we, as we did. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. So that led into, you know, how do you teach as many students as possible? So we found out that, you know, we found these amazing community members, obviously in the roundout community that are always looking to, you know, they're already running leagues and tournaments and, you know, showcasing it to their church and whatever they're doing, they're all doing this out of the love of the game and the love of their hearts and their passion. Um, so we find those people and be like, Hey, would you like to take over, um, you know, a PE class for the day? So you find your local teachers and you say, Hey, can we offer a free, you know, PE demo, you know, and of spike ball, um, you get the day off kind of, you know, you still got to watch the kids and make sure they don't, uh, do a bunch of, you know, get in trouble, but I'm going to teach the lessons, you know, the whole day for your seven, seven classes. And it's going to be a 45 minute instructional lesson on, on how to play spike, how to play around it. And, you know, it's basically running through that curriculum in, you know, in 30 minutes in that, in those two weeks, you just do it really quickly, make sure they're, you know, understand the skills, uh, the basic skills, let them experience it, fail a little bit, and then give them some tips and tricks on how to get better. And then just let them play and, and experience it. Um, and then, you know, we, that, that, that person gets to give a spike ball set to the teacher as a thank you for spike ball, basically advertising to their kids. Um, and then once that, you know, that, that awesome community member then, you know, fills out a form saying, Hey, I went to this school. I taught this many students. It took me this many hours and, and, and I would pay them. And then I would, I would follow up with the teacher trying to then make a sale, say, Hey, thanks for having us in the classroom you know, here's all these awesome resources we have, blah, 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 you know, thanks again. Um, no pressure, no sales thing. Like if you want to buy some discounted equipment, let me know. Um, and yeah, there was, you know, there was no, 
there was no like sales intention. I had no sales like commission numbers. So it always came from like a physical education kind of first mindset, which was really cool. Um, it just allowed us to get into more classrooms and, and, and more schools. So if you passed my, you know, application process and interview process and you were, you know, were an awesome part of the community and have a, had a flexible schedule to, you know, go in the middle of the day and, and, and do this, then you could be a part of the, the spike ball education specialist program. And, um, yeah, I mean, you could, you could make some money and it was a 15 euro an hour and I think 20 bucks an hour or something like that in the U S and, um, it was, it was awesome. And I think I, I've got some numbers here. Um, but since 2015 that I can keep track and that's, there's definitely some more that happened before then for sure. Um, but since I started tracking it, spike ball and that whole program has taught 185,000 students, uh, in school and, you know, just having them, you know, see your product or play it once wow. for, for yeah. five minutes is different, but they had hands-on activity, you know, for, for 45 minutes. So that's uh, some pretty quality time with a product. Um, and I think that's, 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 that's pretty cool. And I think we've taught 15,000 plus teachers, you know, through these trainings as well. So it's, um it's, it's got a pretty big impact and the amount of comments you'll see on like, you know, random spike ball videos, like top 10 plays, like, oh yeah, I just played this in gym. And, you know, you don't know how many other students have been taught, you know, since then from these teachers that we taught. And so that number is huge. And, you know, from a spike ball product perspective, I tracked sales from teachers and schools and and whatnot and districts. And that, you know, made up, you know, plenty of revenue to, to cover my expenses of my salary. Uh, but then there's also all the things that you can't track. Like the kid played it in school and he goes and buys it at Target or he goes and buys yep. it on spikeball.com. Even we have no idea, you know, yep. that's crazy hard to, to try and track that stuff and, or they buy it on Amazon. So we always knew and Spikeball, you know, always believed that it was having a bigger impact than was trackable. Um, and I know, I know that to be true. And I think it's just also such a good thing for the foundation of the sport of round net to get it to kids so much younger um, and make sure that, this is something that they play every year in in, in physical education because it's just a regular sport. It's not some weird niche sport they found out about in college. That's mm -hmm. you know this this odd thing that you know people are like, oh, what's that? It's, it's just going to be a regular sport because they played it yep. for four years in a row, and it's just they 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 did basketball, they did volleyball, they did badminton, they did round net, and you know that's just like that's what they know. So I don't mm -hmm. think people realize how big of an impact it, it's had and you know it's going we'll to continue, continue to have in the future yeah we'll continue to have uh, yeah i i i don't i don't disagree with you whatsoever i think that's uh i think that whole system that you yourself and spike will set up may be one of the most impactful innovations the sport has ever had and will ever have for probably some time um because even now you talked about those numbers Again, you can't track that that kid goes home and buys a set. You can't track that kid going home talking to his friends about it. You can't track that teacher going and speaking to other teachers about it, changing schools. You can't track that kid uh, then becoming a teacher and then sharing it to his schools. You can't track that. The only thing you can track is having a positive influence and gaining that exposure throughout, through yeah, having that multiplying effect that you did by teaching teachers to teach it. Um, and then paying people to also then go into to do it off the back of of spiteball and your incentive. Um, 
where is that project is that project still ongoing and and also i i sort of understand when you first started it your your main your main logic behind it was i'm only one skylar there needs to be more people doing this to have a, a bigger multiplying effect it, please you could do it all year but you know then you're only going to reach four six ten thousand people but if you could get more I'm not going to say mini Skylers because that sounds narcissistic, but if you could get more people to do a similar thing of what you're doing, well, now it's going to multiply it every single time with every person that joins. So yeah, is this project still ongoing now? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it'll be somewhat paused in 2024. Um, that's at least what I've been told, but people still that are part of the program can still um, teach and get paid till the end of the year. So that's you know, still, still waiting down. But, you know, I want to touch on what you said is just, those are the kind of things you can't track. And you know, one of the things that I found out that I, you know, by happenstance, I could track, but I met some guy at a, at a restaurant locally. And he was like, Hey, I just want to, he saw my spike ball shirt. And I just want to let you know, you know, your, your son or, or our son, you know, you were his favorite PE teacher, um, you know, which was really cool to hear. And, you know, I, you know, he talked about spike ball and all the lunchtime tournaments that we had and how fun it was and, go and you know he talks about he just got into college and he just started the spike ball club or the round net club at his university and so it's just like those little impacts of just like that one kid and then turn into somebody who does so much more for the sport um and so there's so many of those that have happened that from that initial just i learned about in pe um so i think that's what's you know so special um about it and you know it's just uh i'm so thankful for all the people that you know have been a part of the program because I just also think it's so important to kind of give back to the, the community that's already spread the word, you know, so much, you know, on their own dime or on their own accord. Um, and to just kind of keep that money back flowing into the sport, you know, and, and keep it in the community, I think is, is really important. And I do think that is some of the most important thing, uh, most important work that uh, can be done for the sport is to get younger people to play it in more organized ways and I've been working a little bit with a couple of national governing bodies on trying to maybe implement this in some way um, in their structure, because I think that's really where it should come down to is, you know, those national governing bodies, one of their missions would be to, you know, help grow the sport. Um, and I think this is one of the most efficient ways mm -hmm. to do it is, is to get into the physical education program um, and get kids you know playing as early on. So if that can somehow be a part of a national governing body's plan where they have some sort of budget that, you know, can pay amazing community members or other people, you know, on the board um, to then go into schools. And, and sometimes those schools, especially in Europe, will will pay for those trainings or those seminars. And so it can be a, a cash positive thing. Um, and then, you know, then they can buy sets from the national governing body mm -hmm. who's buying sets from Brookline or whomever. Um, and it can kind of become something that you can actually make some cash on or at least keep going and the amount of of those kids that then can go into your clubs and it's even better in europe because there's that place to play like yeah, that's what's yeah. so cool you know i'll mention you know american spikers league and what they're doing is in america we don't have that safe place to play from you learned about it in pe now you're going and playing tournaments like there's no infrastructure there whereas in europe we have these local clubs you know everywhere and you know once you play it's like oh well i can go play on on thursdays because they play there at this hall yep. um and so i think that's why it's so poised to that's it's almost it's almost has a better trajectory and it would have more of an impact in europe uh if this kind of thing kind of kept going and it was all connected 
Um, so I, I think, yeah, I, I think national government bodies should take note and I'm happy to help anybody just like figure out how to, how to make that work with whatever situation you have, because I think it's one just really impactful on the sport. I think it's one of the best things you can do as a national governing body. Um, and it's just like the, the work will pay off so much further and, you know, in the long run, like, I mean, that, that kid from, you know, then to be, you know, a, a club president, to being a player, that was eight, eight, nine years. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd have no idea um, how much those things changed, you know, in, in a, in a generation. I, I, 1000% agree um the the only thing that 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 could stop ngbs pursuing this is their obviously their financial capacity uh, of course you was in a situation where spiteball were able to then sponsor you know slash pay you know for, for this project um and and they could they know they could wait somewhat for that future return because they had other revenue streams during this time period whereas ngbs there's still a real struggle to get any type of revenue stream right now, but you could, you could, oh, you know, you need to invest in whatever stream you do get into this because you know, and you've proved yourself that there's a massive return in the future. Um, and if NGBs do want to become to a point where they're self-sustaining and even making profit year on year, it's going to be planting as much or putting as much effort into development of the sport and that base of the triangle to then eventually build the triangle together, grow, and then, you know, as you said, sell then sets potentially to those schools and then make a profit. Um, and, and if I'm yeah. not doing it, there's even more of a, you know, space to sell those kits, you know, uh, especially in Europe actively. Um, I think, you know, if you have the means to do that and make that connection that, you know, the school's going to want the sets and how do they get them? Oh, well, we just, you know, paid for this training or this training from this national government body. Like it all makes sense, especially when it's, mm -hmm. Like it's all local and they're not like somebody in Norway is not paying like spike ball, the company, you know, like it, it, even though that may at some point, you know, come back to spike ball a little bit at the mm -hmm. end of the day, it's just more like locally focused and, you know, just kind of all gets back put into that community, which I think is the way the foundation of the sport is built. And if we don't have those hubs and those community leaders, the sport's not going to continue to exist. And we have to find ways to incentivize and keep money going so that they continue to do it. Cause volunteerism like only lasts and passion only lasts for so long. Um, and with us not having like, there's really only round net equipment. There's no other, yeah, other yeah. tertiary, like, you know, items yes. that, you know, other, other, yeah, other player, you know, other players uh, or competitors could kind of get in the game on. And then there could be more money in the sport. You know, if we all like had to buy gloves and, you know, had to buy, certain shoes and you know just it, there's if there was more there then i think there there would be more of that but we need to figure out how to continue to incentivize and reward the people that are you know community leaders and figure out a way for them to be sustainable so that you know this thing continues on and, and we have this sport that can become an olympic sport in you know however many years mm -hmm. are we closer or for or like from when you first started uh just an off question when we first when you first started working at spikeball are we closer or further away than you'd think we would be or should be now closer to, closer so yeah, yeah i think nine just years later the yeah the world's an irf like i don't if the pandemic didn't happen and spikeball didn't put up the money and the organization to start the irf i don't know who would have gotten together or how long it would have taken or how much who would have put up that money um to get that started in worlds and so i think 
Mm-hmm. I just don't, I just don't even know if we'd have a first world championship or like where that, where would that be now? And so I think that's, that was such a huge jump that I, you know, and to now, and then to be at worlds and be a part of it, to see that country versus country and how passionate people are. Like, I mean, that was just like, holy shit. Like we're, we're, we're pretty close to, you know, this is, this is pretty crazier yeah. than I ever thought it was going to be in, in my time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was, you know, I'm, I was still, you know, it took, took a while to even get prize money. Yeah, yeah. It was like yeah, the yeah. first national, the first national championship, twenty twenty four. You know, we got this this belt up here from. There was no prize money. <laughs> but a damn nice belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that they did not that they did not give to uh to 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 anybody else. If anybody yeah. wants to see it, so. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Real glad they didn't make that a perpetual trophy. <laughs> it's crazy that you're kind of like you were part of this from the start and it's like you you seeing it grow and like when you started it was a completely different scene and they're like of course there are people coming and going and i mean you did so see so much from this young sport basically from the start of it all i mean you said you were late to the kind of party for the sport but actually it was kind of the beginning where you started so it's yeah it's crazy to to hear all all the, the stories yeah. And I mean, it was just, you know, I still remember the, the car ride of, you know, with me and my buddies and like, oh, we need to create a board so that we can like make rules and write them down. And that was like the start <laughs> of the spike ball board. And that turned into the, it was the USA spike ball board. And that was the SRA board. And that was the STS board. And, you know, it was just all of these things. And now, you know, you have the IRF and all these amazing volunteers that are, you know, writing down the utmost little, like tiniest part of the rules. And, you know, I, I just remember like, I remember saying like, oh, we need to make like a rules document that like has like 1.1. Like I remember like reading all of like other sports rules. I was like, oh, we should probably have something that looks like this. <laughs> and, you know, we like kind of started and like maybe half-assed that, but it was just like, like I can see like where we're going to get here and to, to see how much we've gone through and the iterations of rules. And um, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. And I can't wait to, to see what else happens with more money, more manufacturers, more, um just more passion and and people that want to see the sport you know be the be the best it can be yeah Yeah. to to build off um a little bit of what you was talking about in regards to um you know the sport of then and the world's being so competitive and maybe looking a little bit more like an olympic sport or what more potential anyway um you were obviously in a position at spike ball where you had to have a very, very broad overlook of everything with happening within the sport. And again, you know, we've mentioned before that we who do this podcast and even we who, who and those who listen to the podcast are sort of the 1% of the 1%, right? Round it is a 1% sport. And we in the competitive scene are 1% of the 99% who have heard and know what round it is. And, and so from your perspective, who you know, you're in charge of trying to now get everyone and increase 100%. And you're having to do that by you're obviously mainly focusing on the 99%. Now, if one of those kids who gets taught in PE class then goes on to become a premier player and then go on and play for USA World, it's like, oh, awesome. But you're not really the the focus, mate. Like you, the focus is is really broadening that base. So was it hard for you to was it hard for you to have both perspectives in mind 
consciously all the time with both yourself playing, you know, for a long time, still on Chico spikes. And also even later when, you know, 2022, 2023 came around and we're talking about worlds and bigger things on the competitive scene, yet there's still so much to be done within this other 99% factor that really makes up the sport. Yeah, well, and then, you know, that makes up the sport and it also makes up the company, you know, them working for and, and what they do and how they make money is, you know, it's, it's not the sports side of things. I think people need to understand that um, that is somewhat of a, you know, marketing vehicle. And, you know, I think it's an amazing, um, an amazing aspect that what Spikeball has done and put on all these tournaments and has inspired other people to run so many other tournaments and really sparked uh, you know, what that was. But I think when Chris started the company, he never thought that he was going to run tournaments. He was just going to you know sell a product. And so it's become such a big part of it. But at the end of the day, you know, we are a company that, you know, sells a, a physical product on a global, on an international scale. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that. And, you know, the, the main product that, you know, we sold was our standard set. And most people are playing in their backyard or, you know, at a, at a barbecue or, you know, with their friends just in, in the front yard or, or, you know, or at school. Um, they're not, you know, going and playing three, four times a week, going to tournaments, you know, starting leagues. That's just like not where the majority of people that have our product, just like the most people have a football in their, in their garage, but they've never played tackle football before, you know, they've never played at the highest level. So I think just, when you're in it, you just have to remember that that is the perspective. Um, and that's, it's just the reality. Um, but you get caught in it when that's like all of your world is, you know, the competitive side of things. So I think I was always pretty good about wearing multiple hats because when we were top players, we would try and, you know, get more prize money to, to be in there. And I think it was great for the sport. I think it made sense, but other people are like, you're just going to get the prize money. You know, like this prize money is just going to go to like three or four, six people you know that's all the people that were winning tournaments like what is that going to do you know for the sport and so you know you just like think about that as like okay well would that money go toward go towards like prizes better or would less money for intermediate division you know be better for for the sport you know kind of things like the top end of the sport does that really push that many other people to play if i saw that i was getting a five hundred thousand dollar check for winning a, a round at tournament, I don't know that like that might make people really jump into it. But I think there's like there's levels to that, you know. But you know, a thousand dollars isn't going to really make anybody excited, and that may make some people who are in it excited, but it's not going to like draw people who aren't in it. Be like, wow, I need to do that. Like, I got to do that. So I think there's there's always like that allure of I think you and in the, in that same time was like e gaming and like esports. There's a lot of money in that. You just kind of like, oh, well, if they have a bunch of money, that's why people like play video games. That's easy barrier to entry. Like, boom, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start winning all, you know, a million dollars playing Fortnite. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like where like some of that thinking is like, if you put up the prize, the people will come, but it doesn't necessarily, it's like not really true. And you just have to like understand that that's just, that's the perspective. A lot of people just casually like to have fun play and they, they don't even put on a mic and don't do, you know, communications with their game. So you just have to remember that the casual consumer is the the biggest part of the pie. Um, and so, yeah, the different hats, you know, whether or not you're making rules that, you know, you don't want to make rules for <laughs> that benefit yourself or, you know, mm -hmm. try and make rules that are going to benefit other people. You just, you always have to like put on the player hat, the sponsorship hat, the rules hat, and, and then like the company hat, like, all right, well, I still got to, you know, think about spike ball and, and all about sales at the end of the day so 
it's it's been i've definitely had to wear a lot of hats and i've had to eat you know a couple of those hats while wearing other hats um so i've def- definitely uh see, see, seen a lot of different perspectives and it's um yeah i don't i don't know did you enjoy i mean i assume you didn't and i'm assuming it was very difficult but what was probably one of the most difficult things about wearing all those hats at different times was there a particular moment that really was like i really don't like the position i'm in right now yeah so the spike ball elite when that first started which was the top eight teams basically at the end of the year got sponsored by spike ball and got some free stuff for you know prizes or, or whatever it was that was kind of like the start of it um and you know i'm helping like decide what that is but then it's also like happening to me so um what that turned into was at the time there was no prize money so in order for me and sean to keep going to tournaments we needed to get money and we would get money from sponsors and sponsors would buy stuff on the back of our jerseys and that was that was how we would like fund going to tournaments that's how we became became champions um because we won spike ball wanted to be our sponsored they're like we're spike ball sponsored players and they wanted the whole jerseys and that that sponsorship didn't didn't come with as much money as we could make by getting sponsors so it was just one of those things where it was like well we we have to like what if other players that need you know want sponsors like they can't they don't have what we've already got like in terms of accolades so there's no way that they're gonna like be able to fund Mm. going to tournaments because there's no prize money like we we need to keep this going somehow um so we had a call sean and i both had a call with chris saying like hey we need the back of our jerseys you know to for these players because we we can make more money than what spike ball is offering to cover the whole jersey and just because we got top eight doesn't mean we say yes to this right Mm -hmm. like like what are you you're forcing us because we won like so so we had to like say that like you know just because spike ball is the best sponsor you know doesn't mean it's the most useful sponsor if i had somebody else that was offering me more money then i'm going to take that because that's going to offer me to go to more tournaments it, it, it just makes sense so we had to just say like hey we we, we need the back of these jerseys it, it makes sense and you don't want your number one team for a year and a half uh and the employees to like say no to your <laughs> your sponsorship so we had to kind of put our foot down there. Um, and you know, it was both individual calls, you know, Chris that Sean and I had, and at the end of the day, you know, they agreed and you know, that was awesome, but it also came with a caveat, like, Hey, just remember, you know, who puts dinner on your table. And, you know, it was just like, that's, it's totally true. And, and, and it was great, but that was like one of those ones where mm-hmm. definitely stuck the player hat stuck on. And I, you know, kind of stood, st- stood our ground. Um, but that, you know, at the end of the day, like, this is also my job and um, they put the food on the table and it was, I really liked my job. So that was, you know, an un- un- understandable situation. Um, but that was, you know, definitely one where I remember, you know, definitely leave, leaving the the player hat on and, and, and feeling good about that. And to see some other teams after that, you know, really go after sponsorship and kind of follow in our footsteps um, Hilltop being, you know, kind of one of them uh, was, was, was really good at, at, at putting their name out there. And I think, not enough people have learned that lesson from us or maybe we're too late in the game, but I think that's such a big part of being able to continue at the sport uh, when there isn't as much prize money or isn't much glory or fame. Um, you got to promote yourself and you got to go get it. Like you can't just hope that it comes and let it, you know, that's just, 
I just don't have, I don't have sympathy for people that are just like, Oh, no more prize money. And they're not going out and like doing any coaching clinics or there's so many different ways that you can monetize your success uh, or your fame in this community and not enough people work hard enough at it or, you know, try enough different things or have learned from other people that have done it in the past. You think you guys are awesome. From your perspective, do you honestly think that's um, just that uh, potential lack of uh, a lack of trying, a lack of knowledge, an ego thing, a lack of entrepreneurial spirit? Uh, like what, what do you put that down to and why you maybe, or, or just or the hope of, of the prize money? Cause I'm, I'm along the same lines with you. Like, uh, and even and i mean in this conversation strengthens it even more like there's so many things that need to be done with this sport prize money is not going to fix hardly anything and as you said five hundred thousand. okay you might convert a few more of those 99 percentiles to come over to the one percent and join the competitive scene but that's not going to fix the sport um you know there's plenty of other things that need to be fixing the sport um but uh yeah what what do you what do you put it down to and why maybe more people don't potentially monetize some things they do because it also you know from my perspective and in truth and transparency like it was a big barrier for me to go over and be like hey you know what i'm going to monetize some coaching and then i'm going to monetize some you know if you want to come around and do clinics like oh, i'm going to go and i'm going to do x amount of time i'm going to put a little effort into this and you know i'm going to work a lot of time coming up with the exercises and drills etc and plan so i want to be you know um compensated for that time and effort but then on the other hand you're like ah such a lovely welcoming rounded community and you want to do everything for free on a voluntary basis but you're like hey but you know the the more you put effort in the more you can then get rewarded by 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 what you're getting because we all have a threshold of how many voluntary hours we can put in there's no doubt about that so where do you put it down to maybe why people don't maybe monetize or do other things um, I think, I mean, I think it's a combination of those things that you said. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's different for each person. And I would say that, you know, take us with a grain of salt, but I'm probably biased because it was easier for us to get those things because we were so dominant in the time that we were right. So the, the deck that we had made, you know, listed 30, you know, 28 tournaments that all just said first next to them, mm-hmm. you know, and then like one third. You know, and so like, I think that was probably easier for us to tell our story and share our success and, and maybe, you know, some of the stuff that we did because we were on top. Um, but I think then you just, you have to think smaller and think more local and think, you know, how you can have an impact because just because you don't have, you know, 3000 followers on social media or more than that, like you can still have an impact in your local community and, you know, support in local ways and do good, honest or, or earnest work, you know, of like, you're going to give me a b and c i'm going to deliver x y and z and i'm going to also deliver that and then go above and beyond because i want you to come back next time and give me more money and support and show them really working at it and you may not be able to give them the views that they want but like the hard work and effort and um like i said just like the good intentions i think you know pay off a lot more than people realize and um you know as you said like i think that's you know it's 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 amazing that you did all of what you have done coaching wise without you know results so to speak right or you know as good of results as you know i would think of like somebody who or like buddy you know has, has done those kind of coaching things so i think that's all the more power to you that you've done that um but it also shows that you can do that and you can you can break in you know without having that ultimate success that 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 me and sean had you know in the beginning 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, that's, you know, like think how, think in other sports, how many coaches you have and not all of them are world champions <laughs> in that sport. Um, God, we need it. You know, we, we, we need it. You're, you're going around doing, you know, classes or, you know, what we're doing classes for PE teachers to go around and then do that multiplying effect. Like, I think it's a very similar thing. Like, how do you go from a beginner to an intermediate and intermediate to a, an advanced player and advanced player to a premier players? Like it's, there's a lot of people who want to advance in this sport. And uh, I've always said since the day I started coaching, like more people should do it. I don't understand why you don't. Not only does it benefit other people in sharing ideas, but also, you know, you get a more understanding of the game yourself. Like I think my, I've developed a huge amount in the last sort of what, year and a half, been playing now for two years. And it's, it's you, there's no way, there's no doubt I'd be nowhere near at the level I am now if I had not started coaching because you start to view things, you start to question things and you start to look for answers. You were otherwise didn't even know a question existed. Yeah. Oh, I mean, people have razzed me in the community many times because we used to like, and me particularly used to like coach people while we were playing them, you know, just like we were going to win and they, you know, this is a time where they get to play against an experienced player and like, Hey, like right there, you know, just so you know, you could have done this or this is why this happened here. And, just shown that pers- that perspective. I mean, it's me I, at minor and coaching in college as well, and you know, coached a lot of tennis. And um, so that's always just a, been a huge passion of mine is, is teaching and coaching. And and once again, like you said, I I then learn from that more because I'm articulating it, and it's like, oh, like this is why I did this, and these were the only options that were here, and this is why I chose this option. And that I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe I could choose the other option there, and you know, and you're just it, mm-hmm. it always helps you kind of stay sharp and in tuned. And um, I never, I don't think anybody ever, you know, felt bad or like felt like I was talking down to them, you know, while coaching. I think I'm, I'm pretty um, aware of like the tone and, you know, how, how it can come across. And I make sure that, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, Oh, like you should do this. Like, I don't want to should on people. Um, yep. It's just like having a discussion about it. And we may like, then like have like a three minute break in the middle of the game because we're all just like, talking shop and, and and talking about the sport. And um, I really loved those moments and continue to do that. And uh, that's why, you know, I, I love being a, a part of the USA coaching team. Mm-hmm. There's the, the one situation we had at the fresh tournament in Mallorca where we're playing against you, me and my buddy, um, David, and you were playing with Jakub. And there was this match point situation and uh, Jakob had the surf receive and he played the ball high to you on the surf line pretty much. And you hit it on two, like full force. <laughs> and me and my buddy were looking to each other and were very confused. And I remember you saying, like, I, I also made a reel about it. You say, oh, no, you should not defend this. This is okay. <laughs> you were yeah, instantly... Yeah, it, was, it was bad. It was, like, bad, it was a bad shot, yeah. you know. <laughs> It was like a coaching session in there. It's like, oh, it's okay. You should not defend this. And it was match point for you guys. <laughs> yeah, I hit, I hit one from like eight feet off the net onto that, you know, <laughs> shouldn't have. And it was, you know, it felt real good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. It Definitely was remember that one. I will never forget it. Um, yeah, I would, to be honest, I could kind of talk all evening long. But I think um, we should also move forward. Um, you talked a lot about like your relationship with Spikeball and and all you've been through. And I gotta say, when when I got kind of the news that that uh, you are now uh, separate ways with Spikeball, I was kind of I was shocked to be honest. I was like, what? 
Skyler balls. For me, it was like Mr. Mr. Spike ball. And I don't know, like we know you from the videos. We know you from kind of everything you've done. You talked about it also with the PE program. And um, also when we first met, it was like, for me, you were the impersonation of, of this, of this, is this brand kind of. And then I was like, okay, what the fuck? Excuse me, my language, but what happened? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I'll definitely say, you know, uh, was shocked as well. Um, was not what I was expecting on that Friday morning. Um, so definitely, you know, came out of nowhere for me. And, uh, you know, as somebody who a lot of my, like, you know, accounts on, you know, various websites are Spikeball Skyler and my like email, my personal email is Spikeball Skyler. And, you know, so very much like part of my identity, um, you know, most of what I wear is Spikeball stuff, mostly because it's like free, but also because it's nice. I really like it. But um, yeah, I was definitely hard to hear and uh, unfortunate situation. I was like left with um, a bunch of questions that, you know, didn't really get answered for, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of time so that was like pretty frustrating and kind of hurtful but um like at the end of the day business is business and you know you you've got to uh make sure that your business is going to continue to exist um so i think you know what happened like from a from a business professional perspective i can understand uh why it happened um i don't agree with it you know uh, but I think it was more just like from a person and like a human perspective, it hurt more just because of how much I've I've done, how much I've put into it, how many sleepless nights and, you know, hours on the plane, um, you know, just, just everything that's, that's gone into it. Um, and, and all the, all the stuff that I did outside of working hours, I think for spike ball. And that's what I think kind of hurts the most. And, you know, I, yeah, it's a, it was a shock to me. It was a shock to people in the company. It was a shock to people in the community. Um, so yeah it's still still uh still fresh and you know it happened uh five weeks ago and i'm still working for spike ball i guess to the end of the month still doing some transition and some things um but i'm very capable i'm very thankful also for the education and just everything i've learned at spike ball in, in terms of just all the work all of the different types of jobs that i was able to do um, the people I got to meet and I mean, it's just, it's been an, a way better education than I think I could ever expect from, you know, uh, kind of having a, having a regular job. Um, and this was my first full-time job. So, you know, eternally grateful and thankful, you know, for all that spike ball's done for me and, and, and I've done with spike ball, um, especially for the physical education community and, and the sport in itself. So there's, uh, you know, sure there's hard feelings, but there, you know, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, there's, 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 there's all love. That's a, a very um, wise and, and worldly view for something that's obviously a very deep and sensitive topic. Um, I'll, I'll add and say it's, it, it came as an absolute shock to myself, of course, as well. Um, and one that my head immediately went to, gosh, there must be something seriously. I mean, Look, we all know, let's be honest, we all know that Stroke, that Spike will have laid off a huge quantity of employees over the past 18 months, um, including some of the names you mentioned earlier, the original five. I'm not familiar with them all, but I do know that Joel uh, had parted ways, I think, around 12 months ago, um, as well as countless other names that we don't need to name them all 
during these past 12 months. So it's obviously clear to see that, that Spike as a company are not uh, struggling uh, financially and maybe not to and not on course of what they probably projected during the COVID era with, with, you know, lawn games being so high during COVID and then hitting the fall after uh, lawn games went back down and, you know, the lockdowns opened back up. Um, but given that, and I don't I state this and you can talk as much or as little as you want about it, but given that then your name comes up in the news that you've separated ways for me sends more than just a shock to for me to hear your name, it sends a little bit of worry uh, about the sport in general, because of all that we've discussed in regards to how much you've done on the growth and developmental side, you've been the face. You've done so much of that over such a long period of time. If Spike Ball were willing to part ways with that particular individual who has done so much and would have continued to do so much on that huge, impactful part of the sport, then as a as a lover and a, a passionate player and person in round there, it really worries me to think of where the sport is going because they do hold so much, you know, control and 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 opportunity uh, by being the biggest manufacturer in the sport. I don't, I don't know if I'm sure that also crossed your mind in regards to will these projects be kept be kept will be will be running even if you are not there to lead them and. Because it, what does again? It's one thing to fire employees; is another thing to then part ways with someone who's doing so much for the future of the sport. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's the, there's a lot there. I think you know, at the end of the day, I would say still that you know the the sport side of things you know isn't the part that you know makes the money and and keeps the business alive. And so you have to just understand that whether or not you know, I'm doing what I'm doing in PE, like PE teachers are also still going to buy sets, you know, so it's not, uh, you know, not going to go completely away. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely had similar thoughts, you know, of you of just, you know, I know that there's other people at spike ball that don't think about spike ball after they stop their work day. And for me, that's like, well, wouldn't you want somebody who, you know, puts, puts more in and extra hours and, and extra thought, uh, that you're not necessarily paying them to do. So I think that's like just a pragmatic, logical thing that like doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, at the end of the day, I've been an employee for a long time and, you know, my salary was higher than others too. So that was a factor, uh, I'm sure. And it's, yeah, at, at the end of the day, it's just business. I would say that um, I'm still, you know, uh, hopeful and i think spike ball is still going to be you know doing a lot for the sport i think they're going to be involved in the irf worlds you know in, in 2024 um and, and hopefully past that um what they've done with round network and you know the documentaries and, and everything and the content wise um you know that costs a lot of money to do and so i don't think people realize that you know you're not really getting much back from that um you know we're not getting million views on youtube and, and running ads and, and stuff like that so um, I hope Spike Ball continues to <clears throat> do that or figure out a way to to support, you know, the content side of things. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, if Spike Ball just stopped running tournaments, sports side of things, I think things would be okay. I think we're at a place where there's like enough support from organizations and community members that they'll the sports side of things and the competitive side of things are going to continue to happen. 
Now, will that just be really highly competitive or will that be, you know, some of the lower kind of, you know, divisions and getting people into that sport and getting people into that, you know, competitive funnel? Will that slow down because of, you know, what spike ball is not doing? I, I'm not sure. Um, but so I, I think, you know, I'm still hopeful that, you know, whatever spike ball is going to do sport wise um, is going to help push the sport forward, um, whether that's rules, format, um, event experience, uh, you know, et cetera. Um, so I th still think, you know, they're going to be working hard uh, at, at doing all of those things and hopefully setting the, you know, kind of the example for people to move forward or to be better then. Um, so I don't see that stopping and um, they're going to, you know, the people working for Spike Ball, you know, especially on the sports side, Andrew and Joel, um, and then on the marketing side, Ruth and uh, Alyssa are amazing people and, you know, incredibly passionate for the sport. Um, and, you know, they have, they have the best intentions in mind and they, you know, are all part of the community, you know, I think kind of first, uh, minus Alyssa, but she's very much a part of the community and very good people. Um, so she gets it. So I think they just, you know, they're going to do what they can to, you know, have the sport and, and, and then the brand, you know, best, you know, in, in their best interest. So, um, yeah, so confident that the people there are going to do awesome stuff, but at the same time, the people that are not there, um that i worked with for many years you know i also miss them and miss their presence and there were amazing people that you know helped us get to where we are today and uh don't, don't want to forget those people as well uh, I, I can't i can't help but 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 i can't help but entertain slightly negative thoughts when I know you you're like I do really appreciate your honesty and your optimism like I, I I truly do and it's definitely much harder for you than anyone else in this situation we're currently in however for just a few thoughts that just funnel through my head as you mentioned those things are if you a person of your caliber and the person who've done so much for the company of Spiper and the sport gets that random email on a Friday morning Who's to say that one of these other people on this sports, you know, sports development side, I won't name their names again, but, you know, doesn't get the same email in a month's time, two months time, six months time. And then the sports development team continues to shrink to a point where the sports development side is really, despite what aren't going to be really a part of it. And could the sport survive without it? Probably. Will it develop as quickly without it? No. Will it struggle potentially in the US to continue to grow? I think so, because it doesn't have that club system that we discussed previously in the pod about uh, that Europe has. And I know you alluded a lot there to the sports side, but a huge factor, again, that's funneling through my mind is, okay, but it's the base. It's the base. The thing that you've done, you did the spike ball, and hopefully, or we don't know it's going to be continued in 2024, very unlikely with the school teaching. If we don't know that's going to continue, then that's like the most impactful thing for a sport, especially a new sport. And we don't know if that's going to continue. And that's not just on the sporting side, that's the base of the triangle. And we have no idea what things are going to be put into place. If they're getting rid of you, who was at in, you know a huge project and had that incentive of that to build that base of the triangle which this sport so fundamentally needs if you're going it's not like they're just going to get somebody new and they're going to be able to do that 
you that's what you did it, it, they could continue it in some level but they might not be able to let help it grow in the same way that you would have i don't know these are just thoughts and feel free to make what you want of them but i can't help I, but n- just mention them yeah I, I think you know what it comes down to is i would say maybe the thought process and once again i don't know i can't i can't speak for for any any of the decisions that were made yeah but i think you could look as i've been doing this for 10 years most p teachers know about spike ball now whereas so like when i started the first trade show i went to it was you know i this is spike ball it's 360 degrees two on two ball you know it was, it was that just over and over and over and over and over again i went to that same trade show you know the national p teacher trade show it's the biggest one there is uh in america and over the three days i had to explain spike ball three times total so have I infiltrated the market and penetrated the market enough to where it's going to just keep going, right? You know, and that's the question, right? Right. So I I think that might have been part of the logic is like, you know, when I go to a new trade show, it's like people are like, "What new products do you have?" Yeah. Like I came I came with this like serving wall thing that I made just for like people to hit balls through these holes to like get points and like win something. It's just like a purely like a marketing like come activate at the booth. I have 40 teachers like just, Hey, what can I buy this product? And I'm sitting there thinking like, you could just put targets on a wall. (laughs) Like you don't need to buy this. this, Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. No, I know, but it it was crazy (laughs) because I I hadn't even thought about it as like a product. And I think it would be a cool product, but in my mind, like as just like a, wait, why would you want to spend a hundred dollars on this when you could just put plates on the wall and tape them right a hundred on them. Um, you know, but so that was, but that's like what the trade shows kind of were now is like, everybody's like, I love it. I use it all the time. Great. Cool. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't introducing it as much. And so that's why the school specialist program, uh, kind of took a little bit more of a turn towards Europe. Um, because that, you know, I've got people in the U S that, you know, they email all the local P teachers in their town and 80% of them already have spike ball sets. So like then that that doesn't that program doesn't necessarily work as much. I don't think we're there, but I think that's like could be part of the logic of like this this kind of I, I started the machine and it's gonna keep going. That'd be the hope, right? The big hope that it yeah. definitely has penetrated. Like that's that's the, also I I love the optimism like that, and I very much I hope that as well, right? That that you've penetrated enough the market, and you've obviously just said that you know results based in regards to everyone knew when you went back who it was compared to, you know, the first time doing it, you know, eight or nine years ago. Um, but, but j- just so you start a machine doesn't mean you then, you know, you create new innovations on the machine. You, you, you change the settings, you, you know, just as those people were looking for new ways to then put time and energy into the sport, whether that's be plates, stick them to a wall. It's the same thing with your mind and your expertise. You'd be able to go, okay, what's the next step for this thing? Could we somehow do it in other places? Yeah, Europe's taken off, but there's a whole other market in Asia. There's a whole other market in XYZ. You know, we've only got like 500,000 followers on Instagram. How could we convert more of these PE teachers and set them up so they get the kids to follow the account? Like how could, we... I'm sure, again, you're this just because the machine started doesn't mean it, it doesn't roll on and go do 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 it like it still needs some buffering every now and again with some new innovations, some new coding. You know, I'm, I'm 
Uh, yeah. 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 I, I, I agree. And I, I'd love to continue to do that. And, you know, who knows? I mean, when Spike Ball let me go, they, you know, said, you know, we'd love to do some contract work, you know, with you, if that makes sense, or you can tell us to go to hell. And, you know, I said, no, no, no plans to do that. And I, I hope to uh, continue to do some work for them. I think I'm planning on doing some Fuengo outreach to them because Alex, the guy, Alex Tuzel, the guy behind Fuengo, um, is an incredible coder, but I don't think he wants to do marketing and sales and, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think it's fair for him to do both. Um, so I'm going to be probably be doing some Fuengo stuff and try and get more pickleball. And I think volleyball uh, and tennis are also really good um, sports to go after. Um, and I also think there's other markets like tabletop games um, and card games that run tournaments all the time. And I think there's just a big a big like runway for that and especially in the pickleball world there's there's like a gap and there's like some really shitty software that i think fuengo could be a part of and like i've been super passionate about fuengo just from the get-go and like i'll just go back to a little story but we used to run all the tournaments basically that sean and i like won we would help set them up and do that and we would score the you know the scores at at after pool play and tally them up on paper and do that and then we had a big spreadsheet that jack scotty made um that was awesome and at 2015 nationals um we're tallying up all the scores in a spreadsheet and one cell went wrong and the whole thing got fucked up and there was like one team that was seated like 20th to last and they like went five and two and like and it was just like holy shit and so me i'm, I'm there just like figuring this out and figuring out the seeds some people have the wrong seed and it ends up taking like an hour and a half and I'm just like trying to suss it out. And, you know, and then we have to go play our matches and, you know, we give ourselves like the one seed. I mean, we earned it, but it was what, it was, yeah, it was yeah. one of those, it was one of those weird things. And I felt like so much pressure. Uh, it sucked and I didn't know how to fix it. And like, I also didn't feel like I should be the one doing that. Yeah. Should have been the tournament director, but yeah, that's a whole nother yeah, story. Yeah. We, we legitimately like that first round of that, uh, bracket play was one game to 21 and there was a point where I, like i was still like trying to make sure that everybody was like i was looking over the tent making sure everybody was still seated because we had to go play our game um and like figure it out and so i wasn't paying attention at all and sean and i were just screwing around and ended up being like 19 all and i think like and the game was like went casually these guys knew they were gonna lose but like it was like 19 all and they realized like <laughs> i think they could uh win and the guy put on like a really good serve at 19 all and we ended up like hitting on two and like kind of getting a little lucky um but that could have been a whole <laughs> whole different world if we had lost that uh that first round game to a to a nobody seed but but yeah that was like that's where and so like then that spreadsheet got better and it got better every year and uh then we started swiss stuff and we tried all these different ways of like figuring out how to do pools and what do you do with uneven pools and just all this shit and so i've always been fascinated by that um and so to see fuengo like get born to life and i was you know definitely a part of like helping with some of the bugs and it's just something that i like wanted to do it wasn't a part of my job at spike ball and i would actually like almost get in trouble if i like would comment on certain threads about fuengo as i needed to focus on my pe stuff mm -hmm. um but you know uh alex always just loved uh you know my my input and feedback so i'm really excited to to help with it and at the end of the day i coined the term fuengo in in, in the roundnet world and, and brought it in so uh, I also feel, you know, connected to it in, in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, imagine tournaments now without Fuengo, Fuengo. How close is Fuengo connected to Spikeball as as company? 
Spike Ball. Owns this might be a dumb question, but no, yes, Sp- Spike Ball owns Fuengo. Spike Ball bought Fuengo from Alex and then hired Alex. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's so yeah, it's Spike Ball and Fuengo tournaments like that. It all that all also makes sense, but if you know there are twice as many roundhead tournaments next year, that's still not enough revenue for Fuengo in like the grand scheme of things. You know, when you look at how many how big other sports are. Um, so that's why yeah. for Fuengo to exist, it needs to jump in other sports. And that's why Alex has done so much work on, you know, the the latest features of, you know, different registrations individually and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, that being said, like, I, you know, I also may be doing some contract PE work for Spikeball or, you know, who knows if I can, if I can figure out how to get paid and teach teachers and then give Spikeball some revenue by getting them to buy sets, like, you know, we'll, we'll figure out how to do that. So I'm in a place where I've got a lot of, you know, kind of little mini gigs, I think that I might be coming up and some consulting kind of stuff with other products in the, in the space, trying to get their product into the physical education world. I think that's something that I can do. So that's, that's kind of what I'm going to focus on. And I also started my, uh, my salsa business and I'm going to do that again. So stop making salsa. Yes, yes, not dancing salsa, making salsa. Make yeah, clear differential. <laughs> I just wanted to ask. <laughs> I don't have that much rhythm. I was hoping it was dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whenever when people say like I won a salsa contest back in the day, they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. oh. I mean, but, you have to. You, you're fit. You you look. Um, you know. I can get down on the dance floor. But, uh, dancer. You know my 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 form isn't very good. You know. <laughs> have. Have you thought about doing uh, consulting work for NGBs? If they had money, yeah. Um, Do you know that they don't? No, I don't. Um, That's so, the question I'm going to ask you then. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I would love to, and you know, that's that's kind of one of those things where, like, I'd love to do that probably as a volunteer and just really help the sport side of things because um, I'm passionate about the sports growth you know, aside from spike ball, they've always been interconnected and always been a little leaning towards spike ball, even though I could always wear the the sport hat too, but there's always that, that kind of thing in the back pocket. And so with that, you know, I'm still, I'm not, you know, against spike ball or anything. I'm still gonna be very much a supporter, but um, round net now that it's, you know, very much its own thing. Uh, you know, I can still be passionate about that. And that's why, um, you know, I'm on, I'm on the IRF board, you know, the equipment committee, uh, which is, you know, uh, really cool and then you know being a part of you know team USA um still very excited to just be a part of the the roundnet community in general especially on an international level I just uh, wanted to ask so we still have you around that's not a breakup correct correct yeah I should I should still be around uh but yeah I'll, I'll be I mean PJ and uh Joel and I are gonna chat hopefully and talk about you know team USA and worlds and if we'll get another coach or, or how that'll work so I'll definitely be in London and so I will have to, and I'll have to, you know, work the other part of the time. <laughs> I, but I do, it feels like we're drawing to a close, but I do want to sort of open up a slight chapter in talking yeah. about the mammoth set before we do go, because that's the uh, leads in nicely to your position on the IRF. Also the position that we talked about, uh, like development of the sport. Um, please uh, enlighten us on your knowledge of the mammoth set i know that you started uh building the project three four years ago now maybe 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, a you know, um, you know, I'll just go into it. I mean, we just, we started, we wanted to make, you know, the, the best competition round net set that existed and kind of try and take manufacturing of the set to the next level. And in doing that, we want to also make better rallies and, you know, uh, make the sport more exciting to watch. Um, you can do that by changing the equipment or the rules, changing the equipment makes it or ability of the players. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, but changing the equipment is a lot harder of a task. And if you change the equipment, then do you have to change some rules? And how does that work when you're um, when you have an established sport? So I'll say that the IRF did not exist uh, when we started this project. So Spikeball in and of itself was still making all the rules for the sport. Um, so we'll just take that into account of like how that happened so the initial idea was to try and get people away from the set because people could just hit it wherever they wanted to between their legs and so we created this like dome shape so that you couldn't stand as close to the net and that created a we didn't call it a natural no hit zone uh because that term did not exist at the time mm-hmm. uh but it just made sense of just like the further the ball is away from the net and the further the person is away from the net the less angle they have to create which gives defense more chance which makes more rallies so it's just mm-hmm. pretty simple uh concept and we also thought the height of the net you know was was going to be another thing as drop shots become a little bit you know not as easy and there's more time to get to the ball which then can lead to more rallies and more possessions and uh more excitement uh you know for the sport in in general um so it was really like those two things and then like the sturdiness of it and making sure that the ball that the net did not move um regardless of whether there was a no hit zone or not um because once again that was just like something that it didn't really matter before the no hit zone if the net moved midpoint because if it moved two inches, you're gonna move it back. Everyone moved two point. inches before the next point on the serve. Like you know, that's not a big deal. But with the no hit zone, it's it's very much different um, and very much matters. But just the net just being solid and steady, and we just thought like, all right, how do you 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 go to a, an NBA basketball hoop? Like that's way different than your one at the playground, you know. Uh, so that's kind of like what we set out to do, and we weren't thinking about portability as as much as we were you know the other things those are nice to have um having it be in tournaments and like have tournament directors run sets with 40 of them was not you know a part of like what we were initially thinking um so i think that's you know that's just like where it all started from um Mm -hmm. and you know we slowly worked on it and got some prototypes and um tried to play with you know different types of balls and you know just trying to figure that out i you know was trying to figure out uh a, a new net you know situation so that you could only have like one um one tension so i like cut a net and then i took rubber bands and rubber banded them to the hooks and then took like some sort of elastic ties from the rubber bands to the net and it was basically like a net suspended by a bunch of rubber bands on the outside the net was way smaller than the diameter of the rim but that was like okay you could like put this on and also the thought was to make the net smaller which made it you know uh harder you know but we ended up not doing that but that's kind of like where the prototype was for that and so then i found somebody who made fish netting like you know for fishing and I was like, hey, can you make me a net for this? And, you know, I had a couple different samples and we, you know, finally got to a, uh, 
a spot where you know he got me something that I liked that was different than the net material we had had, and uh, you know kind of came up with that the the hook design and the loop design where just one connection there, and um, so that was pretty cool. It was like, all right, we got the net down, we got the set down, now we got to figure out the ball. And yeah, we worked with a ball expert um, who worked for Under Armour. And like, you guys probably don't know this, but there was a basketball and that the NBA brought out. Uh, and then I like, do know this. Yeah. They canceled yeah, it. I know. Nothing in the. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Hollow. Well, no, this is this was like in 2005. Not oh. a material change. Huh? Yeah, yeah, but 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 yeah, it was a material change, and uh, and and the players didn't like it. They stopped after five games in the regular season. But this guy made that ball, and like he was, you know, he was a big big shot in the ball industry, and uh, really cool. And there's a, also a ball that like a basketball that came with like a pump inside of it that would like pop out, and that was like super fucking cool in the basketball <laughs> world. But he invented that, and so we worked with this guy that you know was we're all talking about the coefficient of restitution, which is you know bounce how you measure bounce and uh different materials that we could do and it was just really exciting to you know get into like trying to make a quality ball and for me like that was the biggest passion uh from my side of things is the ball is the, like i love you know a roundup ball or a spike ball ball like i just would touch the ball all the time in a car at a red light like wherever um there's just something about it and so i wanted to make that professional but make it still feel similar and not change the skills of the sport by changing the ball um having that touch where you just barely have to just you almost have to let go of the ball i find that like that finite amount of touch is creates like a big skill gap whereas if you just have to hit something um it's not as it's not as impressive and there's not as fine of of a of, of, of fine touch that impresses me at least so mm-hmm. that's where you know that all came down to and you know, i was just testing out different balls different materials and um it was super fun and you just tried to figure out what ball worked with this net because i would test out these balls and and then should the ball that we make work on all different nets or should it just work on this new net um and you know you combine all of those things with the new rules that came into the to the sport and it it became a pretty interesting and confusing um project so how much was like decided early on because you mentioned that you, it seems as if you, you decided on like the, the dome of it coming down so the players couldn't then come and reach before the no hit zone. Um, and you mentioned that you was working on a, a net to, to, to make it, you know, more consistent and have one and one net for everything. So I'm assuming that you, you adopted these changes back when you first started your first prototype. And then as you was building and trying to improve on this prototype, the sport was evolving at the same time. So was it then in a position where you couldn't really change some of the things that you'd already fully developed for like maybe two, one, three years, and then the no hit zone came and then you had to just adapt it to the current rules or was you able to scrap a few things and then start from scratch of which I don't know if it was even feasible or possible financially. Yeah. And it comes down to, you know, manufacturing, you know, a large product like that, you have to buy a mold, um, the injection mold and processes, you know, how these parts are created. And that's just like a big block of steel that then is carved out. And then, you know, you inject your product into that and it becomes that shape. Um, that's the, the largest cost of like manufacturing a product, um, by far. And it's very expensive more so than a lot of people think. Um, and so once that's kind of made, it's, you can make tiny little tweaks to it, but it's 
it's it's kind of set and, and done there. So, you know, we had, you know, would we would we still have had the dome shape if we had known about the no hit zone before we made that mold? I'm not sure. Maybe because it's still sturdier, but mm-hmm. you know, who knows? So, but that's just like a timing thing. You couldn't, you know, really there's nothing you could do about. Um, so when was the mold initially made? 2018 or 19? Oh, no, 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 no. I want to say sometime during the pandemic. I, I don't know exactly, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Was it's... it, so it was prior no hit zone? Yeah, that definitely the was like, they were happening like similar times and there was no, you know, okay. there, was, there, was, there was no, no, like there was no way we could have foreseen that happening. Um, so, mm-hmm. and I mean, I I voted against the no hit zone uh, initially, but uh it's it, it, it's a great rule mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still okay yeah. well I, I i voted against it because there was no division to play in between it That's... was like we didn't we didn't have that figured out we didn't have the contender figured out we made the decision on the rule before we figured out the contender part so i was like well when are you going to practice it you have to qualify for it in this other division that doesn't use it so would would you practice would you practice the thing that you're going to try and get into or would you practice thing you have to win to then get into that thing yeah and i didn't i didn't see the i didn't see the the road there so that's that's why i voted against it but uh, yeah, love yeah. the rule love the rule mm-hmm. so then on regards to them when it go on tops sorry um do you feel like i mean the the the, the set came now onto the market and do you feel like it is the set that do you feel like it would have needed more time to because of course you already told about uh, talked about the progress that it's taking a lot of money to change things afterwards and and it took already a long time as you said you were starting kind of in the pandemic and then releasing this product now in 2023 2023 um do you feel like it sh- should have been different or like how do I say it? Like, are you kind of happy how the way how how it came out now, or should it had more time to kind of you know tweak and 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 fix things? Yeah. So I mean, the way the way it went is you know, uh, and I think just to provide some context, like, and you know, Scott already touched on it earlier, but you know, their spike ball did really well during the pandemic. It was awesome. All yard games, lawn games, that whole category did really really well. Um, and then you know, kind of went on a little bit of a downturn and, you know, some people left and some people got let go. And that was a time where, okay, we got to figure out what's most important at spike ball. What do we got to do? And, you know, the product was kind of, you know, put on pause because, you know, it's just, it's just costing us money. We're, you know, not making any money on it. And it's just, you know, we got to, we got to figure out some things. So I wasn't really, you know, able to work on it. And I think at that point, the net was really solid and the set was really solid. Um, all that I want, I, all I wanted to do is tweak the ball a little bit more, um, and get it, uh, a little bit more feeling like, you know, an old round at ball, but not too similar. Um, but, but also still making sure that it, it checked all the boxes that we had, you know, when we started the project of hand sewn nicely round and just, you know, really good quality that you're going to pick up the ball over here. And in this country, you're going to pick up a ball over here and it's going to feel the same. So that's you know what we set out to do and i thought we were close to that but we weren't there and i personally thought the ball is the most important aspect of that you know um plus like people could just use this ball regardless of the set potentially that was the other part is like am i designing this ball just for this net or should it be any net because 
could you just be the person who just sells the best ball regardless of the equipment that you use um so i always struggled with like i had i had a rookie kit the pro kit the standard kit and then this prototype mammoth kit and like the ball bounces different on all those different net materials so it like catches different it spins different should i make one that you know like you can take any you can take the nicest basketball that you shouldn't bounce outside but you can go play with it on a shitty outdoor hoop so it's yeah. like but it's, it's kind of a, an interesting thing so I, I always thought the ball was the most important and i was struggled with like should i be designing it just for this set uh or should it be more for the sport kind of thing so that was always you know a tricky part um so you know the product was just you know put on the, the whole project was put on pause um nick my boss you know ended up you know leaving um and he was you know it was me and him working on it um so then things just kind of got lost in the shuffle and priorities were then restructured and um i don't think the mammoth was going to come out and then we decided to start it up again and um decided to go for the launch so yeah then got got to test uh another ball or two and um and, and get it out to the to the world but yeah i mean I, I would have loved to have a little bit more time to make it exactly how i wanted it from being there from the beginning for sure um but i think it's i think it did a lot for evolving the sport making people think about what's possible um and you know just expanding the horizons um i you know personally like the height um uh, aspect of it i love the net assembly situation um i'll say all the nets that i tested out were a bit tighter um so i don't know what happened there but um yeah and i, I like the, the the structure and how sturdy it is um I've not, i haven't fallen on it so i don't know how that would feel uh but i can't imagine it's fantastic um so yeah I'm, I'm really proud of some of the aspects of it and i think the ball is has already pushed people to maybe create their own ball you know in some ways and it's just what it's doing is it's it's helping others innovate the sport and that's i'm really proud of that and i'm really happy that spike ball put in the time and the money uh and the effort to to do that even though it may not be the standard or may not you know pay off 100 in the long run um i think it's just one of those things that spike ball has invested in um trusted the process and you know kind of did it for the sport not necessarily for you know greed or profit um which i very much highly respect that they've done a lot of things for the sport and for their community uh and just in general that you know aren't just profit based and some people think oh the spike ball is always trying to get their money um and while they are a business uh i've seen so many different ways that they have you know shown that that's not you know their only intention mm -hmm. i i oh, although you. i although i i agree to that i i would just add in do you feel by like by the release of the project they wanted to see it from a business perspective of hey we put x amount of time and effort into this project let's put it out on the market and let's try and make some of the money back through the, what we've invested in making this set. And do you know if they were even close to making that money back on the investment they put into making the set through the sales they got? Because they are two options, right? Like if we look at it from also, like I'm trying to put a business hat on, right? Marketing agent myself. If I've invested, you know, close to a hundred thousand more or less, but let's put it in that ballpark just for now into this product that we don't really expect a much return we could get a huge return if it's absolutely perfect but we're not really sure if it's going to be that perfect 
we got to a point where Nick, who was your boss, who was working on it alongside you, left. So maybe this project isn't going to be exactly what we wanted. So the high reward hasn't really, it can't really be that high reward of what we one, one day thought it would. And now we're in a point where we're left with this. What do we do with it? Well, we have two options. We just take the loss or we put it out there. And yes, we do hopefully spark some innovation from community members by making people ask questions about, you know, what could be good or bad for the future of the sport. But also it's a great opportunity for us to maybe make some money back on this investment that we initially had that unfortunately didn't reach its potential. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's partially the latter, but you know, with, with addition of, you know, what I talked about earlier is listening to the community and letting them, you know, say it. And we did so much play testing and, I, you know, went around to different parts of the country, different parts of the world, you know, testing out this set um, and getting feedback on it. Um, so once again, like that's what Spikeball also puts money into is listening to the community. And, you know, that's, you, you're you not getting, you're not getting money back on those, you know, those trips to Europe and, and whatnot to, to get all of the perspectives that we got from, from, from that trip. And I thought it was super valuable um, and inclusive. And I felt good to be a part of that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I think, you know, you've got to get it out there. And I know that Spikeball is active, actively working on, you know, improving the ball and the net um, for later iterations of Mammoth. So, you know, it's not like we're just saying, all right, here it is, you know, go for it. Just try and get up some of the losses. It's not, you know, I think the the speed of which it came out and, you know, from my perspective of not wanting it not being as done as I thought it would be, or as I wanted it to be, at least from the ball perspective, um, you know, that's, that's just how things are. But the fact that they're you know still moving forward and still going for that um, and trying to improve the product just states, you know, that they're trying to continue to innovate, trying to listen. Um, but, you know, you, you also gotta, you gotta realize, you know, some of those, some of those losses, it's hard to just, you know, take a hit and, and forget about it. Yeah. For, totally understandable from a, from a business perspective for sure if not if not you and if not nick who who is now going to continue to work on that project i mean it's not as if they need to start from scratch but you could also argue that you know once you go down and you decide on a certain piece of equipment that some things then won't change like what if that height isn't it you know or what what if everything is it but the height needs to be reduced or what if everything is it but it needs to be 32 inches in diameter what if it is it but the ball needs to be like you know what who does the person who's now going to be in charge of that product are they as well versed as yourself or nick into making those decisions or potential decisions that you maybe potentially could have had if you had more time to work on it before its initial launch i mean i'm not going to say that they're more well versed i'm going to stroke my ego on that but um i think andrew you know andrew gasaway uh you know is definitely i think he's got the latest ball sample um that you know i was definitely jealous to hear that he got it instead of me uh, a little, little, little sad. Um, but, uh, no, I think, you know, he's somebody who's been around for so long is more passionate than probably anybody that I'd know, uh, about round net and it's pretty much his life. So I think it's in really good hands. And he also knows, uh, the impact and the importance of listening to the community and listening to, you know, other players and not just, you know, thinking that he's knows what's right. Um, even though, you know, he is a player a little bit, you know, we're just, it's, it's just about getting the information out there, figuring it out, finding out different ways to do it and just listening and then just, you know, just, just trying it. So I think, I think it's, I think, I think we're in good hands with, with Andrew and in, in terms of finishing 
or making that product uh, better in the future. And I'm and sure then, he'll ask me. I'm sure he'll ask me too. And then to relate that onto your position in the IRF being on the committee board with the equipment, how much does that then overlay? Are you guys working as the committee side on the IRF, mainly just to help standardize the current equipment we have now? Or is it working also on regards to the future potential equipment? Because this is where we're in a sticky situation of the IRF doesn't have money to create a new mold and create a new set. So they can't really too much work on a new set, but they might have ideas on how to improve the sport, whether that be, you know, a, a, a bigger ball, dare I say, a 32-inch diameter, X, Y, Z, you know, but they don't have the finances to do so. Do they then pair with a manufacturer or are you guys more just focusing on trying to standardize, making sure every ball is the exact same, making sure yeah, the tension is similar? Yeah, we're trying to figure that out. So, I mean, I got put on the committee and there's other roundup manufacturing, you know, people on the committee as well. So I think they wanted it to not be anybody that had a vested interest in it, but then it made sense to just have everybody that has a vested interest, you know, kind of in that. And so we had our first call last week and um, the call is literally to just like figure out what we're supposed to do, uh, how we're supposed to move forward. Um, we want to standardize like what equipment is um, and like, how, like what parts of the equipment can you standardize and then what is that range and as much as you want to standardize it for international play you at the same time don't want to stifle innovation and make sure that everybody like has to be in the paint themselves into this corner um so the language that we use and how we describe you know certain aspects of the equipment um is going to be probably the most important thing that we do and um yeah, we're going to, we're going to figure that out with, with, with Reval and that being, you know, kind of a different diameter, having some different rules and, you know, that's all great to push the sport forward. Um, but at the same time, like you need to know, like if this tournament's sanctioned by the IRF in this country and this country, they're playing by the same rules. So it's kind of a weird, weird thing where we're still in the beginning of it. And I think we want to make sure that what we write down isn't concrete and, you know, it's very easily, um adjusted and so like the processes for adjusting whatever things we decide we want to make sure that those are set solid and um you know based in you know good evidence and once again community listening and mm -hmm. all of those kind of things so that's yeah we just started to figure out like all right how do we even describe parts of the equipment what parts are there um and then how do we go about that and we're just going to kind of go from there so that was our first jump off call and you know, even though I'm there kind of representing spike ball, you know, at the same time, like uh, all, all those people that are manufacturers and are on the committee kind of understand their perspective and they can kind of put on both hats um, for the sports side of things. So it's a really good group. Um, I'm really excited. Um, it's going to be very interesting and um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating uh, how, how it all comes together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I 100% agree. Uh, it's a tricky situation to be in. You don't want to standardize everything and you give no no room to innovation, such as you mentioned. But if you also try and innovate too quickly, you're giving the upper hand to that person who does innovate initially and Roundnet's now maybe lagging because you have to wait until the other manufacturers in Asia and other countries can also compete with that or create that mold. <laughs> Unless you yeah. have a Roundnet manufacturer that then takes over the whole Roundnet market, which also then isn't potentially good for the future of the sport, but great for that Roundnet innovator you know it's yeah it's one thing sport. one thing that we you know that i that i think we all seem to agree upon um which i thought was cool that like the fiba does or better international federation of international basketball association i think something like that um but they basically have like a 
a whole catalog that lists all right the floors the backboards the scoreboards the ball all the different aspects of like a basketball court or a basketball stadium or like what an official match is is all like listed and then under like balls it has what the specifications are and then it has a list of the four companies that have you know basically made and gotten up to the standard and made the standard so then it just has you know their information and and that gets put out to the ngbs and the ngbs can decide you know which company to work with because these four ones all make a ball maybe another one makes a floor and a hoop as well so i'm going to work with them because they're going to give me a package deal or i'm going to work with this other one because they're local to my continent you know but it gives them the kind of opportunity to choose and then it sets like a level playing field and you know promotes as many people as like as long as you get to x y and z standard then you get on this list and that's like then you're you're put on a level playing field in in some senses yeah 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 agree, agree. same with i'm sure it's the same with other sports you know soccer and as well you meet certain standards with your soccer ball and then you know a company can choose or a brand can choose which uh, brand they then like to pair it with for either college or, you know, Premier League, whatever. Um, yeah, no, it, it makes total sense. Um, on, on a side note, and sort of to conclude, unless you have anything you want to add after this, Skylar, I know we've been going for a while, but it's good, nice, enjoyable. I like when we haven't had to worry as much about time. Um, but uh, a thought I've had is you mentioned that the mammoth state you sort of started in like 2018 around in regards to conceptualizing certain ideas, whether that be the set higher or net wider, uh, ball larger, X, Y, Z. I'd, I don't know about you, but I'd be extremely interested in, in either the IRF doing it with top players or even, um, you know, myself doing a series or some type of community videos where people would film and document these testings that they're doing, whether this be, uh, a, again, a sort of a, a relationship with the IRF and a certain person or group where they go out and they go, okay, today we're going to play six games and we're going to play with the net that's instead of what eight inches, it's going to be 12 inches. And then that's episode one. Right. And then they go to the next one and they go, okay, now we're going to play on an eight inch normal round net set, but we're going to play with the rally ball that we all know is slightly larger, an inch larger on diameter and still with the same sort of feel texture, but just basically just testing a larger ball. And then episode three, hey, right, let's go and we're going to test the mammoth set. Episode four, let's test the revolve set. Episode five, okay, let's test a 32 inch diameter. Premier Spike created several of a 32 inch diameter. And from this, it would spark so much community discussion. You'd get raw statistics and you'd get so much amazing information that you didn't have access to in 2018 when you first started the mammoth set. You you know, the, the mammoth set was okay. Yeah, we didn't even have the no hit zone by then. And also it was like, oh, you know, we, we the net if it was high, yeah, probably would lead to more rallies. And, you know, the larger ball, yeah, probably would. But we didn't know and we really didn't have as much community and as much open testing. And also the ability and skill level 2018 compared to 2023 is very different. And that also affects the percentages of what you get of rallies, ace, rallies, aces, double faults, side outs, et cetera. So I just felt like that's just a personal thought of mine in something I'm, I'm potentially investing time into in 2024. But I just wondered if you'd thought of either doing that with the RF if you thought of doing that personally if you if yeah just putting it out there 
I mean, that was part of my job at Spikeball with this elite kit. Or well, that was the original name of it. And just to put it on a timeline, yeah. timeline, this like didn't didn't start till 2020, like late 2020 was the timeline. 2020 of. was when the first initial what mm-hmm. when you created or when you first started. Well, just the idea the idea, you know, started. Okay. Yep. So like actually make it like there was some stuff done prior that year. Um, but I don't know if you were, I guess you might not have been a part of it. So part of my job was to test different things like this. So I tested small net, uh, tested raised rims. I put, you know, three or four rims on top of the pro sets that tied them all together. And we'd play on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we played with a big tire around a net, like a big inflatable black tire to basically make a no hit zone that you really couldn't go in at all. Um, I mean, countless things. I mean, you know, I even tested some of these things at Taylor's house and then he then, you know, tested them himself on his own, on his own, on his own uh, product, which, which is great. Uh, that's just, you know, fueled the innovation. Um, but I've got videos and stats of all, all of that shit. <laughs> like, like that was, that was part of my job was literally to go and film with people, um, try out all these different types, whether it was a different ball, whether it was a different rules, uh, or it was different equipment or a combination of those things. Uh, and then count how many rallies and possessions we had and move on from there. So like, I don't, there's, there's so much done that like to make sure that we were trying to get in the right direction of more rallies and like possession and the equipment and all of these things were doing that. And we we're finding out what is the best tweak of all those. And so I just don't think people realize how much like work was put on kind of behind the scenes that, and then it's tough. Like, how much do you tell everybody about? Because then you're telling your potential, you know, competitors, right? Like, it's... which is tough for a position for you to be in, but not a, a tough position for any community person to do. Correct. Correct. Um, and then I don't know if you were a part of this or around, but from all of these like rule changes and like equipment changes and things we were trying to do, became like a uh, a committee that like tested out different rules and people would like get paid. And there was like this whole spreadsheet that this guy, David made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really awesome. That was like the community, like starting to test stuff because we had the conversation, like guys, we at Spikeball cannot do this. We cannot just like pay a bunch of people to just play this way. Like you guys got to do it. And we got to figure out, you know, what little tweaks of these rules actually make sense and work. And when we try a new rule, you know, we can't figure it out in two games if it's going to have any meaningful data because that's a new way to play and you need experience to get actual good data. Um, so these things take time. And, you know, I think there was like a minimum, all right, you got to like play 10 games like this um, for this data to mean anything. And I wish I could remember the name of that project, but it was a really cool spreadsheet. I do. I remember I remember doing the seven foot testing from six yeah. to seven feet. But yeah, I do remember the project. So yeah, I, w- I would love, I would love for, that would be a great YouTube you know, series. And I think it'd be fantastic. I'd love for people to try a two person return. I'd love for people to try an outside boundary like Charles does with reball. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just like, there's, if, if we don't, if, if that doesn't come from the community, it's just not going to come from anybody else. And when you have people that are competing at the highest level, trying to go to worlds or, you know, make your national team, you're going to play by those rules. And either somebody runs a tournament with different rules and whether that's spike ball or not, or somebody else, but like, it just, it has to happen. And I just implore people to push the boundaries and tweak some little things where you're not really tweaking the main parts of the sport. You may be just tweaking just one little aspect. Mm-hmm. Like, would it be different if you used tennis style scoring where you have to get, you know, so many points 
to win a game and then so many games to win a set. And, you know, you only served in your games. Can you try table tennis style serving where every player gets two serves regardless, just goes around the horn. That makes mm-hmm. shit so that everybody has the same amount of serves more or less. And somebody can't go on a serving streak. You're not changing the fundamental aspect of the sport, but yep. the way you play it and the strategies that you use can absolutely change. Um, and those are the kind of things that we want to test and figure out and see what makes makes the sport more complex, which has more meta, which has more depth um, and more fun. You know, the the deeper you get into it, the more you know fun it is. And I think that's you know what makes uh, a sport have such a, a like long long runway. You know, is is that it's more fascinating the deeper you get into it. Do you personally think? two questions one do you personally think that this is one of the most important things fundamentally that the sport currently needs two is um so let's say you think that it's one of the most important thing the sport fundamentally needs at the the top you know for it's also to funnel down um do you feel that there's enough recognition oh sorry the second question is is what do you see as an individual round net breaking down statistically? What would it look like to you? Because I'm going to, let's draw some, let's draw some statistics out of my head. So they're not relative. So don't take them too uh, seriously, but let's say a game has, you know, 30% ace percentage, 6% rally percentage and 60% side outs. And then the other 14%, whatever is double faults. Now, where, where is your personal opinion in regards to what, where that, where that boundary should lie? And the first, and then back to the first question is if you do believe that we're so far away from where your statistics lie, then do we need to do more like, Hey, wake up guys. Let's try and do more like really to fix this as soon as possible. Really. And this is what like one of the high priorities that we need to focus on as a sport. Yeah, I, I do think that it is very important that people try uh, and change and innovate and think about, you know, just how could our sport be more exciting? What if we did this different? Uh, it can it can only just make you more knowledgeable. And even if you take a t- tiny slight fraction of some other idea and put it forth to what you already have, like you're going to make it better. Um, so I think it's, I mean, just a simple of like, all right, instead of playing two out of three to 21, you play four out of seven to, to seven that makes like every single point matter more. So then are people going to try a little bit more on defense and maybe, you know, try a little harder. Are they going to get more certain? Like it just, it changes so many different aspects um, of the thing with just such a simple little tweak. And I just want people to understand that like we could have a few of those little tweaks and we may have more of what we love in our sport than what we currently have just because what we currently have is working or working for us. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's with cool. a caveat with a caveat. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, I think your second question was. What statistics or what oh, boundaries yeah, yeah, yeah. do you think? Um, I, you know, I think that also is, you know, the very um, subjective position. There are some people that love serve ball and love watching aces and serve returns and, uh, you know, coming from tennis and not being a big server, I always didn't love that aspect of tennis too much. I, I can appreciate it, but I'm a really big fan of watching tennis and I'm not like, uh, I'm not somebody who was going to watch John Isner play 
because it's mostly just serving and then the rest of his game is like mediocre it's just not what i respect you know kind of of the sport but it's how you can win and it's it's part of it um so you can't you know disrespect it but um i think some people love that you know cat and mouse like it's like you know pitcher versus batter kind of you know kind of style and that's like what they love of the sport uh for me it's just getting the ball back to the net when you the other team doesn't think you're going to uh that's like what's so fun about it for me and um getting the ball and then trying to find the ball and find the net and like hitting it back on like that. Those are the things that I love about it. Um, and then I love the 360 aspect of it. And I love people laying out diving and putting their body on the line. So for me, you know, rally percentage needs to be rallies three, three changes of possession or more. I think that should be 30 to 40%. Um, and you know, before I give percentages, the other thing to think about is like, is this from a player perspective of what I would want playing or what I think the sport needs to become more mainstream in terms of like the regular person watching. Right. I think those are two very different, very different different conversations. Uh, and for the success of the sport, I think you have to go with the mass appeal. Yes. And that's what I want to go with. Like, I, I want to go with as much as, although I respect and I'm sure we share quite a similar subjective, which is obviously pro- probably not that far from an objective boundaries of what we decide, but I want to go for more an objective sponsorship, an objective, you know, this is a serious sport object, not just, okay, sure. Some people like the survey service about, I like it myself, but if the sports ever going to ever going to go anywhere, it needs to be more than that. And therefore, I would love to know what you objectively think from a sponsorship perspective, where these thresholds need to be and also not just need to be, but also need to be on a skill level that is entertaining. Because with all due respect to Revo, the skill ceiling is much, much lower than the skill ceiling of round net on a spike ball or premier spike set because there's less access to do things you can't hit as low so then there's touches your ball can't go as fast the rundowns are never as long like it, doesn't it reduces... that make it harder though if you don't need to run down as far well i guess there's there's less there's less options so it makes it so you have to like be better at those little amount i'm just playing devil's advocate you know and that's fine and and it, take that with a with a grain of salt for those that are listening but i just mean in regards to if you if you make it that it's of course it's going to be a rally every single point because you play on a three inch yeah. uh net or oh, well of course now yeah okay awesome well we have 90 percent rallies but now it gets to the point of like oh, you know, it's, this isn't interesting unless we play to five yeah so, so for me i think like i want 30 30 let's go 35 percent rallies of like three possessions or more i think i would want like 25 percent of like five or more possession changes so long rallies. Um, and then I would want maybe 10 to 15% aces and like 5% double faults. I don't know where we're at there, but like that's mm-hmm. that's that's kind of where I'm at percentage-wise. And I think in terms of excitement and you know, I don't want to take away, I don't like I think putting a boundary around it like could take away some like power aspect of the sport. And I don't think you want to make it where it's just like kind of a little, a little bit of a, a little bit more of a control sport. So I think you need that like power aspect, like finishing shot 
And for you to only like do that as, as like hitting 50% power, that doesn't like look good or translate like athletically. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, um, so, so, so I think with that, and then I think for me, it's showcasing the speed touch deception, uh, coordination and quick reaction times. Um, and so for me, that's anytime the ball is a little the ball or the person is a little bit further from the net off of the start of the point, I think is then going to be more exciting because I'm, if I didn't know what the sport was and I just watched, like, even if it was a really crazy fast serve, I just saw somebody just like touch the ball and like take two casual steps to the net and then just flick. And then the point's over. Um, I just don't think there's enough of an, of an athletic effort to finish a point. That's that, that's so quick. Whereas beach volleyball has a similar problem where they have shorter points and the returning team, you know, usually can finish that point on the first contact or they're supposed to statistically. Um, Mm -hmm. But you're moving in the sand, you're jumping over a high net and like, it takes a lot more like aspects of athleticism. And I think I kind of support any way to make that more of an aspect of the sport, because if you can just sit there and serve and just swing really hard, and then casually like get up there and flick and and then you don't really have to play defense because your serve is so good. I don't really like rewarding, you know, that, you know, where you just kind of only get good at one part aspect of the sport and you excel, you know, t- to as high as people have by just being serve ballers. If I'm going to, if I'm going to just call anything out. Um, mm-hmm. So I just think that, yeah, I want to showcase the people that dive, get up quickly um, can, you know, use both hands um, who have touch ball control, um, timing of setting their partner when they're away from the net, the communication and teamwork between, uh, you know, teams when they're playing defense and different mm-hmm. defensive schemes, different defensive positions. Those are the kind of things that I want to highlight more of. And I don't think, and I think little aspects of changing just even the scoring format or a tiny rule I here agree. can have yeah. a huge impact on that. Um, and I want to support that as much as possible, um, and make sure that people are getting good at all aspects of the sport instead of just one. Um, and cause we all know, and one you can just do by yourself at home. Like I understand that those skills are going to rise to the top more than ones that you need other people for. Um, but I just, you know, from just like an overall sport and excitement and fan standpoint, that's kind of what I think is that it just needs to lend itself to more athletic abilities and overall skill of however many, you know, skills that are demanded in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Not just one just saying defense, you know, all those things are coming in. I, I'd, I'd love to end, I think this episode, we've been running for such a long time and I appreciate what you thought. It's really, uh, this is more than a, this is more than a podcast, but a conversation and I, I really do enjoy it. Um, to sort of to come in as an ending point and to link it back earlier with um, when you was initially trying to write a PE curriculum for PE teachers to then use and teach uh, kids and teach other people. Now you said that, you know, I put it out there cause it was, it, I, you know, it was your first time doing it and I got some help, but you put it out there. And if you needed to make some tweaks in the future, Hey, I could make some tweaks and tweaks in the future. You, you terminology can change now. I, I compare that quite nicely to where we're at in the sport in regards to, hey, the sport was put out there. You know, we've had Jeff Nurek on, you know, the inventor of a spy ball. He's come on and he said, yeah, well, 
you know, the, the net is 36 inches because that was the hula hoop I had to sort of work with when I first created the sport. Why is it eight inches off the ground? Yeah, I don't know. Just that same like a good, why is the board is, you know, it, it wasn't physically, we weren't to know the where we are in the sport right now. And, you know, even to where it's going to be in a year's time. But the point that I'm making is that just like when you said, hey, here's this curriculum, I'm going to put it out there and there's going to need some innovations, some tweaks in the future, but I'm going to put it out there because this right now is better than nothing. Do you feel that the whole Roundnet community that currently exists are very much prepared for potentially saying, okay, I'm ready to innovate now. I'm ready to now make big changes. Or do you think there may be two attached to either the current sport to what they know it to date or you know as you could then use the analogy of PE teachers are too attached to the first curriculum you sent them and they don't want the new one like do you feel we're in that position as a community where people are open to changing I I you know I think there are so many new players that adopted it competitively during the pandemic that they don't necessarily have as much of the history of what the sport has been and I think if they just looked at some videos from 2014 2015 just to just see like what's changed and how you know you literally used to have to serve to somebody in like their their arm zone and i didn't have to like be ready i would just stand there because i know where it's coming and the fact that your partner could stand next to the net you could just pass right to them like i just think people need to do a little bit more digging in history to understand how much the sport has changed and how we've gone through a couple of years now with no rules changed. And that's never really happened in the sport. And I don't think that's a good thing um, because the longer that happens, the more people have just known that they've been playing for two years and this is the only way to play. Their mind's not going to be, there's a mind's not going to be open and uh, open to thought. And so I really would implore people to think about how you can tweak this and whether or not, like you're doing it for the sport's sake or you're doing it just for your group of four to have more fun, right? Like we all got to that point or, you know, in, in my time and competitively, we got to the point where it wasn't as fun because points weren't happening. And this is what all of this talk, this whole conversation about whether it's equipment rules, anything, we all wanted to make it more fun and get more of that, those aspects of diving, you know, and making those sick plays that regardless of who won the point, everybody's smiling and laughing how can you get more of that? And that's where you create crazy ass rules and you make fun stuff. And I always told people like, yeah, this is how you play. But as long as all four people agree with how you're playing, that's how you're playing. It doesn't really matter whether you're following the rules or not. Lovely philosophy. But yeah. Just make, make, you know, as long as more people agree on the rules and that you can't catch the ball. Okay. Then anything else goes. Um, but you know, it doesn't mean you have to play by the rules and uh, you know, who makes the rules and, there's still so many people today that, you know, don't think you can hit on the first contact or, you know, soft touch rule exists or, or anything like that. Um, yeah. And that's totally fine for them. And they have their own amazing community leagues and stuff like that. And it doesn't matter. Um, so I would just, I would just tell people to just have an open mind and just try and think about how you can make this more fun for yourselves or for future generations um, because it's, uh, I think that's like one of the things that we need and we need that from the community and the people and not from the people that necessarily like are looking to profit off of it. Uh, I think it just needs to come from that bottom up and the manufacturers will listen because those are the consumers. But so very, very well and nicely. I agree a thousand percent. Um, yeah, 
lovely put i think that's a great also ending message to to end this episode um anything else you want to mention before we head out see the skyland tops um i just want to say uh yeah kind of thank you skylar i think you've been around quite some time and you've been i think for a lot of people in the scene also uh, inspiration and for me it's also like uh, our talk that we have here very inspirational and i have a lot of thoughts that i i, I kind of want to sort out and new ideas that i have now from this uh, topic it's very inspiring of course you are in there since yeah 10 years <laughs> um with the biggest company in our sport and things change of course but i highly appreciate that you're also a very positive person and take it really um yeah in a good way i feel like and um i think we all can learn a lot from that so thank you also i think i'll talk for a lot of people in the community and i hope to see you of course um around uh first time we met was in mallorca and it was like when you first meet Skylar Bowles, you will kind of never forget it <laughs> because we were in a group of people and you were just, we were playing Jungle Spike uh, for me, I think the second or third time. And you just casually didn't introduce yourself. You just played with us. You were like directly on board and, and it was like, everybody was looking, okay, who's the guy? And some of the people knew, okay, that's Skylar Bowles, legend of the game. <laughs> So yeah, um, I highly appreciate you. I hope you're still in for the amazing community that we build up also due to run due to spike ball, but also kind of now leaving the I, I would say leaving the only or leaving the biggest company behind us, like with spike ball. I think it's it's kind of the time to, you know, when the kids get out of the house <laughs> and do their own thing. And we are yep. kind of in the situation now. Uh, but yeah, it's great to have you and thank you for, yeah, for everything. Thank you so much. That means a lot. And, you know, over, over my years of, you know, traveling, I think I've been to 130 plus tournaments, you know, who, who knows at this point um, in so many countries and the community uh, is what I tell people that's so special about, you know, when they ask like, what's they like working at Spikeball? And I'm like, then I tell them about round and I tell them about the community and how amazing like just because you play this sport with this little yellow ball in this net like you're just welcome in so many people's houses and communities and countries and that is something that like i think if you're a part of a certain community or a niche group like you may feel but it's very special in the rounded community i've definitely have been in a, a few of those communities before and it's this one's nothing like anything else i've ever seen so Thank you to everybody who's you know been a part of helping build that. Um, continues to do so. I would love to come and hang out in your country and your city uh, and play some round net and dive all over the place and play whatever other sports uh, you have and cook some food and just just be merry. So um, please invite me uh, wherever you are in the world. Uh, I would love to love to come. And you know I, I think tops you 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 said it well, but like you just it's 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 so the community is so welcoming and like that's what that's what keeps me going and i'm gonna continue to to keep being passionate about this uh keep being positive and be proud of what i've done over the, the last decade in the sport and will continue to do and um uh the amount of people that have gotten 
exercise or physically you know active because of you know the work I've done here um just warms my heart and uh will continue to do so and yeah I would uh just say everybody love everybody and um definitely try to play round net with table tennis style serving where every player gets two <laughs> serves I think there's, there's <laughs> a, one takeaway right now that I've been really wanting to make a change of is for, is, is for people to, to do that um so just give it a shot uh makes it so everybody has an even number of serves it totally makes sense from like a just because you're better at serving doesn't mean you should get more serves I, I think people can understand that. And there's only so many sports that have that uh, mechanism in place. So I would just think about other sports and how it's, it's equitable in terms of who has the first possession uh, or the ball in their hands uh, uh, to start. So please try that uh, and report back because you're not changing the fundamental aspects of the sport. Everything else is still the same, but I think it'll be pretty fascinating and hopefully it'll start a conversation to, you know, get everything further innovated. So yeah, I just want to say much love and I'm here. And if anybody wants any questions about anything spike ball related, round net related, just or my history of anything sport related, um, I would love to talk and converse and, and everything. So thank you guys for having me on for so long. And um, yeah, I'm, it's just, yeah, very, very happy. Love it. Great. And that was a lovely way to end the episode. Um, appreciate you very much that you came on and sharing as much as you did. Uh, very insightful and very inspiring as top said so thank you very much for coming on again um, absolutely cheers guys all right thanks everyone for joining thank you yeah.